All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance this is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCPN studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell, good. Eddie Ortiz, and the one and only Gat. She will be behind the scenes giving us a little bit of an update on the chats. I obviously recommend that anybody that's watching the live stream tonight, if you got anything that you want to chime in on, because we're going to be talking across the boards, and I have Chiefs-related topics, NBA-related topics, in particular with The Last Dance, and I know you guys always have opinions on that. You know we do as well. And if you want to, you know, maybe drop a comment or two about where the hell Eddie's at tonight, which uh, I heard is out of this world, and he's hanging out with the Lizard Band himself. I believe it's uh, Sammy Watkins. Eddie, is that true? That is true. You are correct. I like it. We, we are out of this world today. Yeah. Where are you at exactly, Eddie? Where are you in orbit at? How much LSD, where, Eddie? Where is Jim Morrison there? Can you confirm? <laughs> he is not here. Oh. Are you listening to Writers on the Storm? Yes. <laughs> classic, classic. Break on through the other side, Eddie. Well, we're really glad to be here, guys. Episode 64. Um, it, like, like I say, every single week, we appreciate every listener, every uh, supporter of this show to this point. It's been an absolute blast every single week. Even last week, I promise you guys, we had fun in some regards. But we're back in full swing, in full motion, and we're really glad to talk to you guys about some sports tonight. Like I said, we have a lot of Chiefs-related topics. We're going to talk about Last Dance. We're going to open up the Monday mailbag and give Eddie his hour. We're going to be handing out some L's. we got a fun-filled night. So if you're watching live, thank you for that. If you're going to be listening on this pod- pod- podcast, thank you for that as well. But let's get down to business, guys. So this week, we've heard some potentially yet cautiously good news in regards to the sports world, like the real world, opening back up in, in the very near future. Uh, MLB owners have agreed to an early July opening week to this point. The NFL is still going business as usual, and the NBA superstars and league officials have uh, rallied the rest of the league in a mission to resume the season they're close to wrapping up. Despite this being perceived as good news to most, we've had names like Shaquille O'Neal come out and voice his displeasure on the idea, on the idea of resuming the season, stating that he preferred if they just, quote, scrap it. Since March 12th, when the sports world came to a complete stop, I have done my best to maintain a balanced, level-headed viewpoint and mindset when it comes to how the sports world, again, like the real world, will come back and combat the effects of COVID-19. But with all of that considered, I have come to the point that when it's safe enough for the athletes to return, and I do believe they are rapidly approaching that point, they need to return. I believe that it will be the best for all of us in more ways than one. But with the leagues resuming in the near future, there will be narratives drawn out of the darkest and shallowest of places when it comes to how much relevance the future champions will hold in a season stopped by ending on time or kept from starting on time. And this, of course, will apply to the NBA most of all. And we all know why. For one... Of the three major sports leagues in America, they're the one that was dead set in the rhythm of the regular season. 
Many suggest that starting when stopping, then starting again, will create this idea that the validity of winning in a season with much chaos attached to it will lessen its value. Second of all, the constant goalpost moving for one LeBron James absolutely plays a factor in this faulty at best narrative. Suggesting, or better yet, pretending as if the LeBron-led Lakers not only had the best record in the West, which I've been told was the tougher conference that LeBron couldn't or wouldn't ever dominate in, but also as LeBron-led Lakers were running into running the at speed into the quarantine with back-to-back W's against the biggest championship hurdles in the Clippers and Bucks. Make no mistake about it. This narrative will exist. I know this because it already exists. When former Hall of Fame greats like Shaq have a take like canceling the remainder of the season, he doesn't hold this take alone. Regardless of the reasons, regardless of the facts, if, say, the Lakers do up winning this year's finals, the word asterisk will be attached to it. Many will downplay and discredit their accomplishments, as I expected no less, virus or not. But tonight, I want to tell you why I agree that there should be an asterisk if, when, let's say the Lakers pull this off in the recovery of the pandemic. Since 1995, there have been four lockouts in the NBA alone. Some lasted as long as a couple of hours in 1996. Some lasted as long as eight months in 2011. I was alive and aware of both, and I will remind everyone that not one person that I've come in contact with has ever even hinted at the word asterisk when it comes to the teams that won the titles in those seasons. In fact, I'd be curious as to how many folks could name the champions of those seasons without Googling them. You might be asking yourself, if a shortened season wouldn't justify an asterisk, Why would Lance suggest that there should be an asterisk for this season's champion? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you why. We as a society need sports. Dealing with the pandemic, not dealing with the pandemic. To me, it is essential for many people's mental and emotional help. My own included. What has taken place during this NBA season has been nothing short of an absolute mess. From the passing of the late NBA GM, David Stern, to the tragic death of Lakers great Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, all the way to now, missing over two months of basketball due to the unforeseen virus that has taken over our world. If there's ever been a time in the last several decades in which we needed sports, It's right now. And an asterisk would be the ultimate way of expressing that. You see, when we think of an asterisk, our minds automatically go to a negative place because of an association to baseball cheating scandals of recent memory. But an asterisk can be used for good memories as well. And to me... It should be used to represent what we as a society, what the future champions of this league endured and overcame. A symbol used to used to show the future generations that although everything and everyone came to a halt, we did not allow what once held us in fear could not stop us or keep us from courageously regaining life as we knew it and rise above any and all obstacles. 
This is why we love sports. The competition. The ever-growing desire to win and be champions. A champion is what we need. And to be bold, I hope it is the Lakers that stand on top and all is said and done. More than just for LeBron, more than any narrative against him essentially once again being dead in the water, I hope it's the Lakers for Kobe and his family, for the Lakers organization, and quite frankly, for the NBA. After 9-11 took place and sports began to resume, the then U.S. presidents of that time, George W. Bush, went to Game 3 of the World Series in New York City to throw out the first pitch. And it was a monumental and, up, and it uplifted millions of Americans. Many of them weren't even Yankee fans. But the country needed to see the league's greatest franchise set the standard and show resilience by finishing the season in the championship round. The Lakers are the Yankees of the NBA. And no, I don't expect our current president to make an appearance during the finals in L.A. if we all went according to plan. But the point remains that we need to see the class of the NBA lead the way in a time like this. The NBA needs LeBron and the Lakers to overcome and to set the new standard like we need the NBA to resume play. So I say yes to an asterisk. Let the history books show that in this time, that this season, this champion was set apart and different than the rest. So we never forget what it took to overcome and succeed. To push through, fight and claw for what we love and need in our lives. It's why we're doing this right now. And as unfair and as tragic as this chapter has been for all of us, I consider myself oddly fortunate to say that I've lived through the Asterix days. And we'll leave it there. We got a good show tonight, guys. How are you guys feeling tonight? You guys feeling good? Terrific. It's going to be a good show, man. I'm really excited. I've been worn out all day long. I didn't know if I was going to have the energy, yeah. but damn it, I'm ready to go now, man. I just got a huge jolt. I don't know if... Uh, the Coke helps. Did, yeah, the, the Coke absolutely helps. So yeah, I definitely recommend that to anybody over the age of 21. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that, guys. Just drink water. Drink plenty of water. Hydrate, beer, whatever you guys got. But regardless, it's going to be a fun show, and I'm so glad all you guys are here tonight. I'm so glad we got the whole crew back tonight. It's going to be fun, guys. When we come back, we're talking Last Dance. Last Dance Chat 4, Episode 7 and 8 aired last Sunday, and damn it, do we got a lot to talk about. I cannot wait to get that, guys. We are going to get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell. That's good. Eddie Ortiz and the one and only Gat. She's around the back. Where, hey, by the way, Gat, can we can we get a little uh, little sound quality from you real quick? How are we doing tonight? Great. I'm doing all right. I just 
told everybody before the break not to do cocaine, so that's a good start <laughs> to uh, my appearance on the show. Tonight. Should we all wear dare shirts? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> traveling cocaine circus shirts. Are Ironically, the ones that I wanted. Rotoware has them, and I just haven't bought it yet. So you just and, you just got back from North Carolina. Yep. yep. And how was how was your trip? Petey Pablo and I hung out a lot. Uh, Petey, what's <laughs> good, man? Friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the show, yeah. Friend thanks to show. get, yeah, yeah. Thanks to get. We got friend of the show. Petey Pablo and behind Eddie too. Um, <laughs> not that I know where Eddie is. He's just off in the speaking of out of this world. Yeah. yeah, I was down in North Carolina. Uh, you guys have been like oddly like dissing on mj with your list and stuff and i'm i'm big fan of eddie's tonight <laughs> mm. i'm like oh you wouldn't had kobe at number four yeah yeah i, I was a big fan a I, didn't that, I didn't finish that fucking statement yet <laughs> i was a big fan of eddie's putting mj first as he should be so i just want to give him a big good job for that but what the fuck with kobe i would have put kobe like behind mj but you know whatever well i mean i'm just saying i know i know that's why i wasn't asked to make a list. well, well so eddie up. eddie almost got an l this week because he's like oh fuck i forgot you know putting Shaq in my top Shaq. 20. most dominant player of all time but i actually wrote it in all caps and i deleted it and i i just like it blanked out and i went to the next player and then i went to the next to the next to the next to the next well, spe- when, I realized, when I realized was my It's life, okay, you're barely like, American so, anyways. When, when I realized was when you guys said these things, like, so where's Shaq? I was like, Eddie, Eddie, you got Steph Curry in your top 10, but you don't have Shaq in your top 20. Hey. I like where this is headed. You're making me look really good right now, bro. I'm already going to get the hate for having LeBron over there. I was so tempted to find a spot for Steph on there, but I couldn't. It was all huge, like, diss. The funny thing is, I said, so let's do the correction. And he said, Look, damn it. I gave you 24 hours. I gave you guys 24 hours to fix your shit. If you could have noticed, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, man, I left the greatest center of all time out of my list. The most dominant force we've ever seen in the NBA. Man, Speaking of Eddie, yes. where the hell are you tonight, Ed? Where you at? Who are you with? Where you at? Give, uh, give the people some insight. I am with the horse himself. Uh, that's what I like to call it. <laughs> yeah. Sea uh, Biscuit, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Horse, uh, friend of the show. Uh, we are in space right now. He said this is where he felt comfortable. You are in orbit. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. I don't know how we're breathing, but we're doing it. You know that he has something to do with it. So shout out to the to the Sammy man himself. We're gonna be definitely talking about him tonight, Mr. Horse. I apologize. Call Eddie Sputnik for the rest of the show. <laughs> Neil Armstrong or, or Haley's. One small step. Well, before before we get to outer space, before we get to Neil deGrasse Tyson and Sammy Watkins and Eddie Ortiz or Eddie Hodge, whichever one he goes by now. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about The Last Dance. And now we've been doing this, this in, the entire time the docu-series has been going on. We've been giving you guys our thoughts and opinions on the two episodes that air every Sunday night. And um, last week, I wanted I want to change it up how we do this a little bit because I really want to get Trevor's thoughts on this as well because we watch these episodes every, every Sunday together. And um, I want to do a little bit more like a, a, a back and forth of this because we were doing it during the episodes. And I felt like that would be a better idea for the show and quite frankly just for the conversation in, in, in general. Um Episode 7 began with Jerry Krause receiving one hell of a question from a reporter by the name of Craig, uh, the great and late Craig Sager, as we later found out, of course. Uh, And the question was essentially, has it surprised Jerry that the team has maintained its chemistry despite the, quote, backstabbing between him and the coach who we all know was Phil Jackson? And... (laughs) 
Hilariously enough, Krause immediately and abruptly ended the press conference after trying to fire back at Craig. And you could tell the jury was clearly not respected by the media, and he knew it. And he was just totally fed up with it. This was at the very end of, of everything that was going on. And you could tell in by Jerry Krause's reactions that he knew, because a guy like Craig Sager, who was respected across the league for more than 25, 30 years, yeah. Doesn't ask a question like that without meaning behind it. And he was sending a message, and you even heard the other reporters talk about, "Well, thanks a lot, Craig." Like that's how they start the entire episode. That's hilarious. That, that, I mean, what was your thoughts on that to start off the episode? I thought I mean, that was hilarious. It was typical of Kraus to to try to belittle someone, obviously because of his issues with himself and the the lack of integrity of that front office. But I mean, yeah, the way that started off was priceless to me with Craig Seger asking the question. That was a good question. They just obviously was so tense in that organization. The fact that he didn't even want he didn't want to confront the demons of that situation that was going on. So automatically, that was a great way to start that episode, just with the the the, the just putting out there the front of the, the tension that was going on and what we were in for for that episode. So well, then they moved to the nineteen ninety eight playoffs when the the Bulls struggled past the Nets in the first round, and how MJ was showing yet again signs of mental and physical fatigue. Mm. And how losing his father, who he called more than like more like a friend in his uh, adult life, was the reason he stayed out of trouble from a young age, and how he was the ultimate positive influence, which I thought was very admirable. I really did. Uh, and then they take us back to 1993, when the most unfortunate tragedy occurs. Obviously, we all know James Jordan, uh, MJ's dad, went missing, uh, and three weeks later. We get the sad news that uh, his body had been found in a creek off the side of the road where the car was. And uh, MJ states in a press conference afterward that he hadn't thought about basketball and that he was even thinking about base, uh, basketball even before his father's murder. So he was MJ was already suppressing feelings of his own self. And then the tragedy strikes. And then I just I, I feel like MJ was trying to show us in this docuseries that that's what set him over the edge of reconfirming some of the things he had already felt in himself with his, with the passing of his father because of how monumental his father was in his life when it came to playing sports, when it came to staying uh, upbeat, when it came to withstand, withstanding the lifestyle uh, requirements that MJ had taken on with the fame, with the glory, with the millions, and with the success that he had in basketball. And um, MJ, uh, he had already stated that, and the rumors of his gambling habits began playing a massive part in his murder, obviously. I mean, it ran rapid, mm -hmm. rampant. Uh, and then he let the Bulls know that he was retiring. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, didn't try and convince him to change his mind, but talked to Phil first. He wanted MJ to have a meeting with Phil Jackson first and foremost before he made any decision. And, and Phil, being the calm yet well-thought-out man that he is, told MJ that he understood and that uh, David Stern, before passing away, completely and utterly just downplayed the possibility of any of this quote-unquote folklore of Stern suspending MJ and covered it up with a pseudo-retirement. Mm. Look, I'm going to get your thoughts on this in a second, Trevor, but let me, just, let me just dive on this one for a second. I'm not going to be the one that says what was or what wasn't. Mm -hmm. All I'll say is this. It probably was exactly as it looked. MJ's dad may have been just killed by two assholes who had nothing better to do or just had death on their minds. Supposedly they're like 18, 19 year old, two 18 or 19 year old boys. Right. But if, but if in fact, if in fact one day we do find out that it was different and that some of these conspiracy theories were true, it would in no way shock me because of the fact that a lot of these things do add up because MJ didn't just have gambling issues. Mm -hmm. He wasn't paying his gambling debts. MJ had over a million dollars out that he was supposed to pay. And these weren't just some schmucks that he met on the golf course. 
These were high-end dudes. These were guys yeah, that, slim, that gambled. That slim guy was a yes, known criminal. that he had to right. testify in his court case. Right. And for his father to be murdered on the side of the road by two rednecks with no violent crime history outside of one robbing a bank. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying that this is what took place. I'm saying that the eye roll and dismissal of this theory isn't where I'm at. What are your thoughts, Trevor? No, no, no. And then and, and it's... I think they're. All, I think most of the 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 theories are warranted, and people that call it bullshit right away, right off uh, right off the front. I just you have to give it thought, and you have to give it pause, just for the timing of it. It took them almost a month to find him. Uh, the car was broken and vandalized, and and all the wind, all the windows and windshield were battered in. Like, why would you? It sounded more like a Sopranos hit than anything. It would sound like a message was sent. That's, I mean, I'm Sopranos is one of my all time favorite shows. And you learn a lot from that show, just from the accuracy of the things that took place within that family. And then how it's compared to real life mobsters and all that. I'm not saying this was the mob. I'm not saying, but I do know that MJ was tied in with some, some nasty folks. Um, and it did seem like a message was sent. I'm, I'm not saying that but they, supposedly his father was shot in the chest in the car, yet there was no blood in the car. I know sometimes inter they say it was internal bleeding, you know, he he bled internally. I don't know how they got him from the car without having any blood in the car into the river. I, there's so much there. It's I mean, especially back then with the lack of technology they had compared to what we have now. You know, there's cameras everywhere now. So chances of that happening now and then nobody having any footage of it is very it would be difficult to pull off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as that stuff, the, the, the father stuff goes and him playing baseball, I just none of it made sense to me. I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to make sense of it. And Jordan's very vague every time that that topic is brought up, and it, he didn't even want to discuss it. Obviously, you saw in, in the in the documentary, we'll call it. Uh, it. Yeah, that was for me. I was it was it, they tried to make it look like they cleared it up because they have you know a handful of people on there just completely just like appalled and dismissing the conspiracy theories and making it sound like it's absolutely bananas to even consider those ideas. Even Stern himself on there, which I mean, I know I know the idea of that being a. Uh, Stern letting him walk because he was the he was the breadwinner of the of the NBA. You know, without him in the NBA, it obviously hurt the NBA's ratings. So I get that aspect of it too. I get all aspects of it because they're all warranted because we don't really know what happened behind closed doors. Um, but yeah, I mean that's pretty much my thoughts as far as the Jordan's well, you, father stuff. Goes. You brought up the baseball side of it because that yeah. that was actually next in line with the documentary in episode seven was yeah. the baseball era for MJ. Mm -hmm. and, and let me start off something. I, I loved. I didn't actually know that Terry Francona was his manager yeah. back then. That was surprising. Um, that that was surprising to me. He was a longtime Red Sox manager and now the current Indians manager, and he's one of the greatest managers of all Absolutely. time in baseball history. I love Terry Francona. I've always admired him. Big big time fan of Terry, but. Can we call some bullshit on Terry for a second? Tito, yeah. look, man, you're, you're sitting, you're sitting, there, you're sitting here saying shit like, and, and this is why I know that this documentary is just filled with MJ yeah. enablers because of the fact that he said that if, if MJ would have had 1,500 at bats, that he would have made the majors. If you go and watch, guys, look, we have this beautiful thing called YouTube. You can find full games of that team that MJ was on. I think it was the double A team for the, for the Chicago White Sox. Mm -hmm. Go watch him try to field balls. Guys, he, he looked like a guy who hadn't played since high school. He wasn't no Dion, that's he, for sure. Go watch. I mean, yes, he could steal bases. That's because he was six six and he galloped like a horse. Well, yeah, of course, prime, he's going to steal bases. Shape. Yeah, but he batted at two hundred. Yeah. And we, I believe, yeah, we got a comment. Is that is that was that correct, or you got a response? Let's hear. Let's hear him out. Uh, I think that I don't think I don't think anyone can fault Jordan for being uh, not wanting to go into the details of his father's murder. So I will just flat out say, speculating on that is absolutely. Uh, 
the wrong way to go about it um, on any level, just because no matter what, the man died. And it's kind of, you know, one of those things that you just have to take very, very carefully. And the way that mm. they handled it in the documentary, I think, was perfect. I don't think you can push that subject. I think you're right in the way that I think if we would have more answers if we were further along in the years. I think if it happened yeah. in 2019, maybe not 2020, we got a lot of shit going on, but 2019 for sure. I mean, these these type of things would have been able to be solved. Yeah, sure. Right. There yep. would have been more answers. Um, that's what kind of we're echoing here, saying uh, there, a lot of people want to know sources have wrapped up with some nasty folks. If you guys had any more insight on that or if you had any more references or any sort of outside information that the documentary didn't cover? Well, the documentary glosses over it, yeah. but in I believe it was episode five. He, they really start to establish that side of things. And you, yes, they, they do try to carefully go over that. You notice MJ's mom never talks on that part of it. The most intimate person of his life still left. Or his ex-wife. Or his ex-wife's never even in this documentary, yeah. so that's a problem in itself. Um, and I think we mentioned that uh, an episode or two ago. Yeah. But th there's a uh, guy who actually, there was a book he, he had written about his gambling issues, and the front cover is him and Michael Jordan on a golf course. And he talks about all the issues that Michael had had throughout his entire career with gambling issues. And again, in the 93 finals against the Suns, Michael finally breaks his silence and decides to talk to not the media, technically the media, but his best friend, Ahmad Rashad, and has glasses on, tries to hide behind things, even hints at retirement, tries to overplay or uh, uh, downplay any of his gambling issues, all while having almost $1.5 million in gambling debt still looming. Mm -hmm. That isn't something that just can be overlooked. Well, and supposedly the guy that wrote that book wrote that book to because of MJ owed him money, so he was kind of doing it as a right. leverage move for MJ to like, hey, let me let me get that money from MJ so I don't get all this. I'll put all this right. dirt out there because that was another thing is that, that, that it's also been mentioned as the series has gone on that MJ knew that with all of the hype and media attention and praise that he gets, which is valid, yeah. there are going to be people out there that are trying to get out and get dirt out there. But here's the thing. Nobody can get dirt out there unless there's dirt. That's the problem that MJ, MJ was facing, and he didn't know how to handle that. It's funny to me that we didn't hear about MJ having an issue with the media or how to handle the media until these started to come out, until these rumors started to come out, until his gambling issues started to come out, where he had to actually fight back. It wasn't until then that we started to hear him talk about the fatigue that he was having with the media. I always found that very interesting when it came to this. Even this documentary is admitting that in its own way. Yeah. It may not be may not be going into detail, and I agree with what Gat said about his father. That's why I said more than likely it is exactly as it looks. Well, sure, more but, than but likely that's same, exactly how it looks. At the same time, in response to people that are telling us we can't, we shouldn't, you know, speculate on that. Absolutely, we should speculate on that because this is a, it's a conversation piece. It's it's in the documentary. It's in every this all this has been something. This it has played been a story, an integral part of his this career. Been a story people have been talking about forever. So we're just kind of delving into it as skeptics. There's no there's no problem with being a skeptical person when this when there's a lot of money involved when they him and his father both were heavy gamblers you know the gambling lifestyle especially when you're addicted to it which they both were when you're addicted to it that that lifestyle leads to a lot of trouble and a lot of you know for being honest a lot of things like that happen not saying that 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 was a part of it I'm just saying that is there is warrant to be skeptical and in that situation so absolutely and I think it's I think that nobody would accuse you guys of arguing that yeah suffer a great loss no no absolutely. no. And so when people are kind of like thrown off by how much he was really reserved about it, I mm. think that's exactly what you should be speculating. Like how much was this um, 
you know, truly being a battle. I have a problem with like when people are hinting at that Michael Jordan was a part of his father getting killed. Cause I remember hearing theories about that, how he like used his father yeah, that's ridiculous. as like a scapegoat to get yeah. debts out. You know, out of that, that's stupid. That is horrible. I've never, I, when I've heard that one, that was, I refuse to believe that because I mean, you saw yeah. their, you saw their relationship and Michael right. even said it numerous times. And I believe him. Yeah. I a hundred percent believe him that his father was his best friend. Right, and you saw the way he mourned after they beat the Sonics in that '96 series. That was the first time he had won a championship without yeah. his father around. Those were genuine tears, man. Well, as hard as, I, I as, as, worked, challenge as, hard as he worked to earn his dad's respect, you know, his father's respect because his father, like, even when they're talking about their childhood stories, how his father was always like playing sports with his older brother. Yeah, and he had to like go out there and beat his and older brother him. and yeah. earn his father's respect. So his father started giving him attention. It was just, I mean, regardless of how you feel about the father giving more respect or, or attention to one of the kids over another. Teach his own. I did. I did find something interesting though about a conversation he said he had with his father about a year before he actually announced his retirement. He was telling his dad that you know what's what's your thoughts on uh, me playing baseball, and of course his mm -hmm. dad he he said his dad said yeah you need to do it. Look, I yeah. I don't know if I believe that one. I don't know if I believe that part because of the fact that it it had been one thing if MJ was in his late thirties and he knew his career was about to be over. Mm -hmm. I know he says he didn't have anything left to prove, but they were in the middle of a dynasty. As I'm not a father, but you are, Trevor. Yeah. Speak on this for a second. Let's say your son came to you and said, Dad, I think I want to go and play another sport. I just won my third straight title. How would you handle that? Me, obviously, the way I look at things with my kids, if my son was Michael Jordan in the NBA and he had just won you know, three championships or was going for his third one or wherever the situation was, he was the best in the game. Most of the time, as a parent, as a father, you want to you want you, you want to guide your kids to what you think is best for them because you don't necessarily know what's going on in their head and what they want for themselves because that's what's the most important, honestly. Because you don't want to put your own pressures on them. That's that's not fair. So, for me, if I was his father, I'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? You're the best at this sport. You're the biggest name in maybe the world right now. Um, you're the biggest star in the world. You go to China. You're the biggest star out there. Everyone knows who you are. Everyone's flocking to you. I would tell you to continue the success you're 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 trending towards. Obviously, you already have success under your belt, but you you have so much more room for more. I would have. There's no reason. I would. Have, there's no reason in my mind to encourage him to leave that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if his mental health was 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 drained or something, like, that's more important to me personally. But everyone's perspective, everyone's mentality, the way they look at things is so much different. I don't know his dad's mentality, how he looked at life. Uh, I know they they were extremely close and they loved him, so I think he would want what's best for his son. Mm -hmm. I think if MJ was pushing, say, Pop, I, I'm tired of this basketball stuff. I want to try to, you know, something else. You know, I would say, you know, I wouldn't tell him what to do, but I would consider his thoughts and his emotions and his 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 mental. Yeah. As much as I possibly could. But me, if I was, say, Scarlett was the best athlete in the world in some sport, I would encourage her to stick it out and, you know, continue that resume. That would be my ideal, you know. You're basically what you're saying. You would give, you would show support of their, their, um, thoughts at that current time, but you would try to reinvigorate either way. Yeah, but I don't know if I would encourage her to leave something that she was the best in the world at. Yeah, but at the same time, like I said, the mental aspect of it all is is the main thing. And you know, if the media was that hard on him, and you know, he was one and out, going to the minors just made zero sense to me. I just don't trying to make another sport just made zero sense to me from the MJ aspect. Mission from Mars. What do we got? My only question about that. Or my, yeah, my only question about that is. If you had the ability to dominate another sport, and you being the greatest at one sport already, would, would you want that? Would you want that recognition if you were able to dominate the other sport? Mm -hmm. We know Michael Jordan did not dominate the baseball aspect, uh, like what, like he planned to. 
right. and obviously return to basketball. But if you had the ability and you had the opportunity pop up to be able to try and prove that uh, be, uh, the ability to dominate a different sport, wouldn't you do it? At, at that time of, of sports, it was a very weird time because Deion Sanders was playing two sports right before that, and so was Bo Jackson. Maybe that was a part of what Michael wanted to do. Maybe he wanted to be a two-sport kind of guy. That's never really been mentioned from his side. He always talked about how it was always his father's dream for him to play pro ball, pro sport, pro baseball. So the narrative became MJ wanted to basically fulfill his father's dream for him. And that's why he felt that it was like, oh, yeah, my dad, of course, wants me to play baseball. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, if it was me – if I was in Michael's position, I I, I, I know it's easy for me to say from my standpoint, but in, in that moment in time, with the success the Bulls had and seeing the NBA as, as the way it was and knowing that we could reel off title after title, I probably would have stuck it out in basketball because, the, I mean, the worst case scenario is that I win a couple more ch- championships, then I establish myself as a baseball player because it's not like MJ's athleticism just dwindled. The dude was playing in the NBA at 40 years old. Yeah. So he still had athleticism to play into his 40s. He could have played baseball at the double-A position, especially with the name and cachet that he had, regardless of how long he played basketball. That would have always been there. So if I was Michael Jordan, I would have drained as much as I could out of my NBA career and then if I still had the desire to play baseball, I would have done that because think about it. Michael only played baseball for a few months. Yeah. It wasn't like he did this for five years. It wasn't like he kept it going. The moment he got the, the itch, and we're going to talk about that in a second, the moment he got that itch to play basketball again, and happened to be also during a lockout of the baseball time, right. it kind of worked out perfectly. But I do believe Michael would have came back to basketball regardless. Uh, I think he would have. My my the. The main thing, the main emotion I was feeling out of that whole scenario when they're talking about the baseball, and even before this documentary came out, the whole scenario of him going to play baseball was just so confusing to me because they've we've spent majority of this documentary talking about how tenacious MJ was, how he loved being the best in the game, how he would get offended, he would create scenarios in his mind just to one up you or to have some kind of edge on you. He would pull up in his Ferrari up to the opposing team before the game started hours before and say, "Which one of you guys is guarding me?" And, and then, you know, and try to play these mind games, you know, and, and use his, his clout as a, as a stepping stool to be above everyone and be on his own pedestal. He loved that. But at the same time, he talked about that the main, his favorite thing about playing baseball was be, feeling like a normal person, being one of the guys again. I just don't have, know how the, it's oxymoronic to me because the two don't mesh. How do you, how are you craving to be one of the guys again? But yet at the same time, when you're playing basketball, you're getting upset because someone avoids you at a dinner. Or someone's not, you know, bowing down to you and kissing your feet. Or someone says, good game, MJ, and that wasn't a good enough compliment. How can those two things be the same? How could you be that guy, but yet want to be just one of the guys? That two, Those two things don't make sense to me. How that's, that's why the baseball thing never made sense. Because he wanted to be Jordan. You tell me Jordan stepped down from the game where he's the best at and, and absolutely glowed and uh, boasted himself knowing he's the best in the game. And you better bow down every chance he got to make that known to you. Yet, Going from that to one of being just the guys in the minor leagues of the of the MLB, it just doesn't it just doesn't add up to me. That's why to me, there's something else that we just don't know. About. Well, and, and we I, honestly, I would love it if we could just sit here and talk about this portion yeah. of it alone because just there was so, so much, much to continue on. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was a ton left. So I, I want to move to the part where MJ, while he was in baseball, um, the Bulls obviously were still playing basketball and they were still playing at a very high level. In fact, the Bulls went 55 and 27 in 93-94 season without him and Scottie Pippen. They show how the team became more of a bowl 
um, the, the the motion of the of the game. It, was, it wasn't ball centric anymore with one star. Yeah. It became a fluid offense. The triangle was actually at its at its peak at that well, time. Santa facilitated running the right, offense. Yeah. Right, right. And, and the most interesting part of the run wasn't the fact that MJ wasn't there and that they were still winning. It was the moment in the Knicks series in which yeah. the Bulls had to win, being down 0-2, and Phil drew up this play with seconds left for Kukoc, yeah. who was to his defense the most clutch player of the season. But Pippen was their best player, and Pippen took absolute exception to this decision and ended up sitting out the play. They ended up calling him the sitting bull. That's yeah. still a nickname that goes around in Chicago That's for Scotty. on that resume. And the story sure. goes, Kuko knocks the shot down, in case you guys didn't see it. The Bulls win the game, but none of them were celebrating afterward. In fact, Bill Cartwright, their center, was stand, stands up in the locker room, calls out Pippen, and it gets really emotional between both of them. They both end up crying, and Pippen apologizes and all that. But as Steve Kerr so eloquently put, and even Phil Jackson, Pippen's... Never, he never lived that down afterward. People always remembered that he was a great player, one of the hundred greatest players we've ever seen by far. Yeah. But he never lived that down. And he doubled down on it in, in the interview, right? And, yeah. and even MJ called Phil after the game. He was like, "Yeah, Pippen screwed on that one. Like, eh, there's no way." And Pippen had a. This is the part I want to address. Yeah. Pippen had a very confusing statement now uh, during that segment as well as he reflected upon it by saying, "Quote: I wish I wouldn't have. Ha I wish I wouldn't have." I wish it wouldn't have happened the way it did, but if I could go back, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to make of it because, honestly, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But even though it happened, even though it needed to be addressed in the series, this is what I was talking about last week. MJ glosses over this horrific start to that 1993 Eastern Conference Finals series against the Knicks, made it look like he was the absolute. It made, it made it look like he was not absolute ass in Game Two and Three. Then blamed it on the situation as why he couldn't or didn't win anything until the situation league wide was perfect for him. Literally skipped right over the gambling issues. But let's take ten minutes yeah. of Pippen being pissed off because he didn't get the ball in a playoff series. The Bulls made it without MJ. It's almost as if MJ wanted to make it a point to show that portion of them without him as a low light so i understand that mj pippen should be dragged for that statement pippen should be dragged for sitting out on his team even though they won the game that was utter bullshit yep. mj pippen had no right to do that That was coward shit Throwing the chair and, all and he that got shit. called yeah he got called out for that and it clearly showed that pippen is just not that alpha he's a great player a great facilitator an awesome teammate in most regards but he's not that alpha a guy that I believe is because that's what separated him and MJ is MJ did have that fuck you mentality yeah. and it did work. It did work because you see it later in in the series when MJ finally got back. We could touch on that in a second, too. But it's to, to me, it's just funny, like looking from the outside in how they go into specific detail about that. They will shit all over Pippen, and according to Pippen, now there, there's a, a, a statement come out today on Colin uh, Coward show that Pippen's pissed about this documentary yeah, he's because the fall guy. Because yeah, yeah. It, it is true what happened, and we're not trying to neglect that. But this documentary, let's if we're all being real here for a second, no, it yeah. is about the '97 '98 Bulls. It's really about Michael Jordan, but. When it comes to these dynamic moments in time of Michael's, we kind of just, yeah, it happened, and yeah, it was no big deal. Next segment. But yeah. with Pippen, it's like you're getting all these testimonies and all these accounts and all these things to make him look like, yeah, we really needed MJ. You yeah, know, like, it, that's what it's it, – that, yeah. that kind of pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, and I know we're going to get into it later in the episodes, but, like, this – they gloss over a lot of other other player success. You know, they didn't even discuss the Steve Kerr shot in the Supersonic series and all that stuff. I know we'll get into the Sonic series, but like 
he tried to downplay the glove, man. Like, you, bro, are you serious? Like, he he held you to your lowest shooting percentage in final or in, in yeah finals history, and all your finals that was the lowest percentage you shot. You're gonna try to downplay that. It's just they they gloss over so much uh, uh, of any flaw, quote unquote flaw that MJ had, which he did have some. But like I said, like you said, like it's the, they're making Pippen look like kind of the frenemy here. Uh, you know, he him giving backhand compliments to Pippen saying he was the best teammate ever, but like then he was downplaying Pippen's migraine game. When well, because the narrative has always been that MJ never won anything without Pippen, which right. is true. Which is very true. So there, there has to be well, this lessening period. of his importance to yeah. a certain degree, and if right. you show that moment in time and really expand upon it, that's going to be something that people remember forever now. Right. Oh, he quit. It's right. not about him being a part of the six championships and being a, an absolute Hall of Fame player mm-hmm. and one of the you know 10 to 15 greatest players of his generation. It's about that part now. That's what this documentary is always going to show about Scottie Pippen in particular. And they'll, they'll make light of them almost going back right back to the finals with, with Pippen as the leader. You know, that, as, that was an accomplishment as it was. You lose a talent like you lose a talent like Michael Jordan and you go in right, his prime yeah, and you go right back almost a play away from the finals. Like that's not something to be, you know, there were some good teams around that time. There was the Mutombo teams. There was the, you know, the Knicks were still there. Obviously, the Pacers were building like there was there was teams in the East that were tough. But I mean. Yeah, I just don't like that they're downplaying Pippen's abilities. And, and I, obviously, he wasn't the leader that MJ was as far as getting shit done. But he was the ultimate Well, he piece. wasn't a player either. So, yeah, they, they needed Michael to win titles. Well, this isn't Pippen's documentary. It was, yeah, exactly. But to win 55 games without Michael Jordan, that does say something about the team he had around absolutely. him. And the yeah. competition in and the, the league. Coaching. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was so much going into that. Well, they moved to Episode 8 with the Bulls dropping a home playoff game to the B.J. Armstrong-led Hornets. <laughs> And here's stacked. my question. That was a stack team. Go, go watch that episode again, the first five minutes. How the hell do you score 76 points in a home playoff game? How? Like, it, was a, it was a tougher era, man. It was so much yeah. more defense, Lance. And, and poor LeBradford Smith. You yeah. told MJ, nice game, after yeah. dropping 36 <laughs> points in Chicago. Not good enough. And then MJ goes and drops 36 at half in Washington the next night because they played that back-to-back. Nice game, bitch, please. But didn't, that go ahead. was made up. Huh? He didn't actually say nice game. MJ just said that, so he would have a narrative. To well, they, I don't know that. if they ever clarified if it was true or not. Yeah, there was speculation that he yeah, said it or didn't that's say it. Yeah, I just went. I just went with the assumption it actually happened. No, yeah. On the documentary, I could have sworn. I mean, I was on a lot of shrooms when I was watching. It, <laughs> but I could have sworn that he said, like, I made that whole thing up because I needed a narrative to mm-hmm. make me hate this guy. I'm Sociopath. Well, it's it's also Sociopath. like the George Carl, like Trevor or touched on. He's just like, a, yeah, we yeah, no. Let's to let Eddie speak tonight. So if you guys. Could, <laughs> well, like, Billy Hodge, go ahead. Like his his beautiful husband Eddie Hodge <laughs> to get on the mic. You guys are great together. Um, but they, he really was just wanting to know, like, just in general, your Pippen takes. Like, like how general. you just? I mean, these guys were talking a lot about Pippen. Up, we all know that like Pippen uh, has you know his personality flaws, but well, like Lance was talking about earlier, like uh, with the uh, with the one shot that he sat down, he didn't like he didn't want to be part of it. Yeah. That's kind of kind of fucked up just to lead your team like that when they need you the most, you know. Well, because the play wasn't drawn up for him. Ex- yeah, exactly. But if the teams, the I mean, the team still needs you to be out there. You you are that star of that team. You need to be, you know, pressing. You need to you need to show support. What he know? should have done is what LeBron James would have done and did, is accept that play and go out there on the court and change it and get the the ball instead. Tell your teammate to give you the ball instead and then hit the game winning shot like LeBron James did. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Against the Bulls. But then you yeah. gotta think of like what if you would have missed that shot and yeah. completely right. everything up. You know, like then he would get even more shit than what he did by sitting that play out. Yeah. You know, 
Because oh yeah, and then throwing the chair, look like a little bitch. So yeah. Names, selfish, whatnot. Yeah, it's a bad look to be on the yeah, bench when that I game when he shot goes in. When he said like, uh, like yeah, like he he like doesn't regret that that moment. Mm. But he, like he looks, back, he absolutely like, should regret. That. You're the only person that got what he was saying. Congratulations on that, Eddie. Because yeah. I, I, I still to this moment don't understand and, what he was trying to say like, right there. He's, he doesn't want to like. He's not those person. Like his pride doesn't let him like you know accept the fact that he was wrong. You know, right? Like yes, I like I accept the fact that it was the bad choice. Yeah. But for me personally, I would keep on doing it because it's who I am. It's I'm not gonna change who I am. Just because people wanted to. Well, then him and him and MJ have a lot more in common than I realized because that's exactly what MJ talked about when he came to comp competing. Even if he had to essentially fight his own teammate, yeah, that's what made him who he was. So yeah. if that's what makes Pippen who he is, then him and MJ are very similar. And, and I guess that's yeah. Worked well together, man. They got six rings out of Yeah, them, so. yeah. Well, and then and then they move on. Uh, Sixty-five games into the ninety-four, ninety-five season. MJ gets that, like I said, he gets that itch again. And I think it would have happened regardless of what was going on in the majors when they had the 94 strike. Uh, I think that made it easier uh, for MJ to, to make that decision. BJ Armstrong was a pivotal character in that, asking MJ, or MJ hits him up and said, hey, man, what are you doing? Let's go get lunch. Hey, come to the practice facility. Let's go get food, but let's go to the practice facility. Ends up getting MJ in the court. He knew, if I can just get MJ in that on that court again, I'm getting this dude back. And what do you know? All of a sudden, you start seeing MJ go to practice once again, once again. And before you know it, he's telling uh, 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 Tony, his uh, his uh, agent, yeah. I'm coming back. Just tell him I'm back. And so the Bulls – go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And this is why I believe MJ where when he says that he chose, like he, he did baseball because of his dad, not because of anything else. But, but I believe that the whole baseball thing was just mainly because of his dad's passing. Yes, he had the itch of baseball before his dad passed, and he yeah. had the conversation like we, on episode seven mm-hmm. about baseball. So, like, we we well, I can see that like the way MJ was was thinking. You know, he he wanted to play baseball because of his dad's passing. And we should give and him the, wanted, the benefit of the doubt he, for that. Exactly. Yeah, he wanted to to you know to give that to his dad. Yeah, who is now well, when his dad saw his last game, you know, he exactly. didn't want to play anymore. Exactly. That quickly changed, but yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah, so. and and when when MJ came back that season, they were thirty four and thirty one. So obviously the Bulls were struggling. They needed Michael Jordan, like I said, yeah. to win titles. You have to have your you have to have the best player in the world, and right. that's what they ended up getting him back. Um, and and once MJ returned, the team felt as if they were back as well. They even mentioned that Steve Kerr and all them said uh, Phil said they were back. And according to the episode, MJ looked and looked as good as ever. He dropped fifty five points in his fifth game back in New York yeah, uh, yep. against a, a contender. So why didn't they win at all? Why didn't why couldn't they get past the magic? What was the excuse? What was the excuse for MJ airballing in the clutch of the series clinching game? Mm-hmm. Was it his conditioning? The dude averaged 31 points a game in the series against the Magic, a very young and motivated team. He had he was he led the series in points. So what was the excuse? I mean, th- this is something I was hung up on because I couldn't believe, like Nick Wright talks about, I can't believe they found the tapes because right. I thought they burnt them all. Yeah. Because n- a lot of people thought that he never lost to the Magic, that he was never there. Yeah, the, uns- the unspeakable He played series. almost 20 games of the regular season, and they got into that series 
31 points a game, they couldn't beat the Magic. So It was in the semifinals, too. It wasn't even the that's Eastern Conference saying. Finals. It and, was and, in the semis. MJ, MJ choked in that series, too, yeah. by turning the ball over to Nick Anderson in the clutch moments. This is the point that I'm trying to make to people is that once because you have to make you have to make the valid valid statement here that Magic team was the most talented team the Bulls ever faced in the playoffs. Well, plus they had Horace ever. Grant. They had Horace Grant who knew MJ well, knew that yeah. team well, knew Coach. Twenty four uh, year old Shaquille O'Neal. Twenty four yeah. year old Shaquille O'Neal that was, was unstoppable. Simply got Nick beat. Anderson, Anthony Hardaway. Yeah. You know, like I said, that team was stacked talent wise. Yeah, and it's no wonder that the Bulls ended up losing to that team. That's when legit competition got there. That team got railed by the Houston Rockets in the finals. Mm -hmm. The point remains, though, man, is that once they saw a team that could fight them with tooth and nail on talent, mm -hmm. it was a series. Well, and they finally faced a team that had an elite guard and an elite big man. Right. Name me a team in the finals or Eastern Conference finals that had had those two that combination. They right. didn't face any teams. They had they faced the Ewing uh, Knicks. You know, they faced the the, the Pacers, who, who was an elite guard, and, and, and Reggie Miller. Uh, Semi-elite guard, I guess at the time he was elite. Um, he was good, but then, but then they had Rick Smith as their big man. There was a lot of teams they didn't have, they didn't face any dynamic duo teams that had, a, you know, a really, really talented big man. Right. So you had, you know, you had a rising star in Shaq, and you had Penny Hardaway, and you had uh, Nick Anderson, and other good supporting role players. Yep. That was just a really good Magic team. They didn't last very long, but that was a really, really good Magic team. Well, then they go to the Space Jam. When uh, yeah. MJ starts to film uh, Space Jam in the nine at the ninety five of all time, yeah. I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. <sighs> I think you're still in those shrooms, Gat. Uh, <laughs> terrible, terrible movie in my opinion. My adult opinion, my childhood opinion. I love the movie. Nostalgia. I believe I can fly, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. Um, love the movie. I thought it was badass. They built the MJ, MJ a dome for yeah, him to was... train and play in, and then bring all the superstar players into the. Bro, how I sick. love that so much, dude. He was that out there was studying. He was out there studying. He all was the taking stars. notes on these young guys. Like Reggie yeah. was young. Dwight Howard. Yeah, Dwight Howard. Jawan Howard, Howard, all these these young, budding, yeah. rising players. He's like, all right, I'm taking notes on these motherfuckers. I'm in my 30s now. I may not be able to beat them athletically, but I can beat them with my mind. Yep. And that's what he was doing. Genius, man. Genius. And then and then they move quickly to the infamous Steve Kerr punch. <laughs> and I wonder chest. how Trevor, you even said this during the show. I wonder how many of us knew that MJ or that Kerr was the one that threw the first punch. Right. That, I, I, mean, I didn't know that. I, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. I knew that they got in an actual fist fight, but I always thought that MJ punched first. Right. Regardless, MJ admitted that he was in the wrong and that Kerr earned, Kerr earned his respect after that because he didn't stand down to MJ. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, even with Scotty Burrell, Scotty Burrell would talk shit to Michael during practice when Mike would be over there on the sideline stretching and Burrell was shooting free throws. Yeah. Scotty Burrell was just some dude on the bench. Bro, and how much of a nobody? Those guys did, earned his respect. How much of a nobody does Steve Kerr got to be for MJ not even to have his number? It was like, yeah, I had to reach out to somebody and, well, grab, I mean, and, and grab old Kerr's number. In, like, MJ's defense, you have your in, number. In MJ's defense, though, he was he was technically the new guy on the team for sure. So he there was a lot of guys he'd never played with. But before. Steve Kerr wasn't like he was like a, a rookie. Steve yeah. Kerr had been in the league. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, well, and, and then and then this is as the as the episode started to draw closer to the end. They they uh, go to the '96 Bulls facing the Sonics in the finals. Yeah, funny. How one of the commentators stated that despite the Sonics having the best record in the West, this was the greatest mismatch in the history of the finals. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, and I could see why the Sonics had a starting lineup of Irvin, not Magic Johnson, uh, Sam Perkins, Hersey Hawkins, and a 33-year-old Detlef Shrimp. Uh, then we get to this clip of MJ watching the, the glove talk about, like Trevor talked about, shutting him down. And MJ laughs and laughs and laughs. It's already a meme now. We're all yeah. using it. I love it. It's great. But... MJ shot 41% from, from the field in those finals. Yeah. So although the Bulls did win, MJ was by no means at his best. In fact, he had his two worst playoff games of his career mm. in that series, and it happened to be games five and six, the games that they did end up winning, 
but Gary Payton was the one guarding him. Well, the other day I listened to an interview with George Carl on, a, um, I believe it was the Doug Gottlieb show. Uh, and George Carl straight up talked about in the first two games, he, the reason he was hesitant, honestly, the only reason Gary Payton the last three games was on Michael Jordan was by his own will. He wanted to do it. George Carl did not want to put Gary Payton on him because it was a known thing that if you guard Jordan and you're somebody that's sticking on Jordan throughout the entire game, you're going to be in foul trouble. Oh, yeah. Because Jordan always got the calls. Jordan averaged 12 to 13 free throws per game in that series. Averaged. 12 to 13 free throws per game in that series. And he averaged 23 points a game in the last three games of the series. So shot, that should yeah, tell he you. He shot almost 38 to 40%. So And then the whole George Carl like stiffing him at the restaurant, Which not is saying funny anything. Because George Carl is a, was already a decently successful coach at that time. He was already an upper up and coming coach. Obviously, he was in the finals. Why does George Carl have to come to MJ at the dinner? MJ could have came and said something to him. That's if it but, even really happened. But no, that's what I'm saying. But like MJ used that as fuel, which is fine. I mean, that's that's the sociopathic yeah. tendency that he had to use as fuel. You know, when you're already at the top of your game, you got to find whatever you can to keep yourself motivated because sure. you're already the best. You've been winning already, so I get that side of it. But like, you got to make up scenarios just to. I mean. It, well, and then MJ finishes off the episode with a statement that I really didn't agree with at all, and it really struck me. Yeah. He said, you can look at me as a tyrant. And this was when he was talking about his competition and how he treated his teammates. Right. You can look at me as a tyrant, but that's because you've never won anything. And again, that stuck with me because that's putting every leader or alpha in a box. Right. And every leader has their own way of motivating their teammates. Hell, I mean, his own coach, the most successful NBA coach ever, was anything but a tyrant. Well, look at Tim Duncan, one of the greatest leaders in NBA yeah, history. Complete those, opposite of MJ. Right. Those words just hit me odd because that's just not true. Yeah. And here's where I'm at with MJ's overall mentality. We have to understand that many athletes have shared MJ's mentality and drive to win. It's not special or unique as far as what he, how he did things. There's been many guys like MJ mm -hmm. when it came to that mentality. The only difference is, and what separated him, is that very few of those athletes shared his talent. MJ had a perfect combination raw of yeah. raw ability, raw talent, drive, and all the other leadership qualities he did have. Mm -hmm. That's what separated him. It wasn't like we, we, we praised this mentality that he had, but there are many. You can go to the YMCA down the street, and there's a dude over there that has that mentality. They just don't have MJ's six foot six, two hundred yeah, pound frame. They can jump was, from the free throw line. Yeah, before him was Dr. J. Right. Know, there's always comes those guys that kind of sets a new tone for the league and new abilities, like AI mm -hmm. did with the with the, you know the culture of the game. Right. Similar. There's always that guy that comes in. You know, Kobe just kind of took what MJ did and extended it. Yeah. You know, to try to mimic it and be as much as possible. But yeah, MJ brought a new because before MJ, the game was still transitioning. I know Bird and 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 Magic elevated the game to what it was as far as competition and there being like two top dog teams and two top dog athletes, but athletically MJ was superior to both of those guys. His, he brought a new quickness to the game, a new, you know, his ability to his hang time as far as being a high flyer. There wasn't many guys like that in the league before MJ. Yeah. As I was saying, Dr. J was one of the few guys that had that, that razzle dazzle. There wasn't you had a guys like Mark Eaton. Yeah. And, and, um, other big men in the league talking about like downplaying MJ's importance because he's, he's smaller. A, he's a two guard. Yeah, like they like. There's no way that you can lead a league being a small guy. Like yeah. how much time has changed since then? You know, it's just funny. So right. MJ revolutionized the game in that Absolutely. way too. No doubt. Uh, but Dan Patrick said something he was 100 percent correct on. He said, "Quote: Air Jordan became a brand because Michael Jordan won. Mm -hmm. MJ was the best player in the world years before he won." And thanks to Krause getting him Phil, Pippen, Grant, Rodman, Kukoc, and several other players, along with the dynasties dying off, his brand became legend. Yeah. 
And we use winning as a reason for MJ being most of the world's GOAT, but overlook and ignore the fact that he only won 52% of his regular season games without Pippen, 18% of his playoff games without Pippen, yet 75% of his playoff games he won, and all six titles with Pippen. And here's my final thoughts. I want to get Trevor's final thoughts as well, and we're going to take a break. We finally saw emotional MJ. And no, it wasn't when he spoke on his father. It wasn't when he spoke on the alleged affairs, uh, unfair scrutiny he faced from the media regarding his gambling debts. It wasn't when he spoke on leaving the NBA in his prime and directly after a three-peat. It was when he spoke on his mentality and why he competed the way he did. And I found it to be rather hilarious that MJ would skip over the biggest myths, legends, theories of his life and career, but made sure to let us know that he bullied great players like Scotty Burrell, Steve Kerr, Dan Merlile, or Marley, and something called LeBradford Smith, who averaged seven points a game in his career. We praise MJ for the confidence he had, but then we... The comments he had in himself, but he would kill his opponent, but I didn't see or hear him speak on bullying players closer to his level like Charles Barkley or Gary Payton. Was it because Barkley averaged 27, 13, and 6 in the 93 finals got against that, MJ? Got that MVP. Was it because the glove held MJ to his two worst playoff performance in his career in the 96 finals? Who knows? All I do know is those accounts of bullying, the, the littlest of them, all showed me more about MJ's insecurities than anything else. Trevor, your final thoughts. Uh, look, I, I watch this series knowing it, it, what it is for what it is. It's It's... This is this was molded and shaped into what Jordan wanted to be put out there, right? There's probably hundreds and possibly thousands of hours of footage that we're not seeing that uh, that would you know maybe even shed shed a light on a lot of things we can't see because of you know this being picked and choosed, chosen by by MJ himself for what he wants out there. So we're gonna see what we see. I, I love it. It's been very entertaining so far. Um, they do gloss over a lot of things that I thought would be bigger issues or, or, or that would shine, you know, a little more credit on other players that help produce these championships and these, these magnificent runs in the history of the NBA and Michael Jordan. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the emotional thing where he talked about his mentality, you know, you know, if you don't like it and it's, it's what he does or however he ended up, I forgot what exactly what he said. Um, but him getting emotional towards the end of that, it's, it's fine. I mean, I get it. Uh, but I think he realizes too that, you know, in his older age, looking back on it, I think he understands that he hurt a lot of people probably, you know, with the way he was and you know, that's the way he won. And that's fine. I mean, if that's your style, if that's, you know, I, and I think Kobe, like I said, Kobe kind of carried on that same mentality of, you know, calling his starting point guard at the time. What was it? Uh, 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 I forget his, uh, anyways, I forget the guy's name, but he was when, when Kobe called him a bum or something like that. So, you know, that that's your type of leadership and that's what you get, you know, you do to motivate your players and, and, and you know, carry on that kind of tradition as a leader. It's fine. Uh, but I, I don't think getting into punching matches with the smallest guy in your practice squad is the best look. Um, I know they earned each other's respect from that, but I just, me personally, I didn't, I haven't liked what I've seen so far, but there's probably so much more behind the scenes of MJ that uh that is out there that would probably change a perspective even more um but so far i've really enjoyed it i have nothing but love for mj i grew up idolizing the guy had his shoes and his jerseys and everything so this has been a a fun documentary i'll say in air quotes um 
but more of this more of this is pretty much most of this is pretty much a propaganda piece for for MJ to kind of like you know put the icing on the cake of his legacy. Well, he's already doing that for episodes nine and ten yes, when he gets yeah, that, that snippet, and it's fine, and he's well deserving. Well, of that. when he talks about how the Pacers were the toughest I was, pass, yeah, I was just about to say. Go that ahead, no, right no, no, on like, that, dude. Yeah, yeah, you know, you you talk about the the Pacers team, the freaking Pacers. It, that's one thing we didn't touch on. I want to touch on a little bit more. I know we're gonna go to break here in a second, but. If any of you younger guys and younger than me, I'm 30 years old. I know a lot of you guys are around my age. I watch a show or whatever. Just, I mean, just for the snippets, I know they're only showing the good snippets of these series and the highlights of in the Bulls' favor. But look at the teams that they're facing. Like, I'm not trying to downplay the talent of the 90s. It was a, it was a fun era, but the league was washed down. There was not good teams. Six expansion there teams. Not, there was not good teams. I don't care what any of you say. And I saw an article come out today. I think ESPN posted how – it's talking about how MJ faced tougher competition than LeBron based on teams winning percentages. The teams were winning at the top because the teams in the playoff had a high winning percentage because the rest of the league was shit. In from 1990 to 1999, there were 15 teams that won 20 or fewer games. Yeah. From 2000 to 2010, eight. And we had team multiple teams with losing records making the playoffs every year. It's just, it, it is what it is. I'm not trying to downplay that era. That was a great era. An amazing run. The greatest dynasty this NBA has seen. That's, that's, not downplaying that whatsoever, but for him to call that Pacers team the toughest team he faced, which well, outside yeah. of Reggie, I mean, he had a, he had a, Rick Smiths. Like, come on, Rick Smiths wouldn't even make he was, thirty-six he year Smith old the league today. Well, uh, what's his name uh, from the Warriors? Uh, oh, oh, uh, one of the greatest shooters of all time. But uh, at that time, he Chris was, Mullins. He, yeah, Chris Mullins was Chris what thirty-six. Yeah, he's on his line. That wasn't Warriors. Chris Mullins. He could that really was move out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Dale Davis. Yeah. What the fuck did Dale Davis do? So, the, I mean, not, they're telling me that four was, guys that, and a dribbler. If that, if that out of MJ's own mouth was the toughest team that you faced, like, let's. I mean, do you want to dive into the teams that the LeBron? I mean, I'm not trying to make this a LeBron James debate. That's but, the first time we brought him up tonight. I think. Well, I'm just well because well, no, we or, brought him up earlier. And the only reason I bring that up is because that article that I saw on ESPN today talking about MJ. There's no way you can tell me with a straight face that MJ faced tougher teams. That's complete bullshit. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an old head. Sorry if I call you an old head. I don't care. <laughs> You have to you have to call facts yeah. for what they are. There's no way possible yeah, that we, MJ faced tougher teams. Yeah, do we have any comments? You guys are just before we go to break. Maybe one team, maybe one team that he faced. You got so many people on and just Ripping you guys to shreds. Hey, I mean, come on. Yeah. Now. How about this? How about we go to break and we Not come so back? We'll, we'll start this next uh, the next one with that because we're gonna go to Eddie for the Eddie hour. Night. I can do this all night. I know you can. We'll go. We'll take a break. We're, when we come back, guys, we're gonna get to the Eddie hour. He's got some questions for us, and I cannot wait to hear some of your guys' comments. I'm sure they're hot as fuck. Cannot wait to get to that. We'll get back to all that after this. KC Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at KC Hemp Co. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCP and studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? My other guy, Eddie Ortiz and Mars, and our lady, who's still very much on Earth, Gat. 
So before we, before we, we stole it. Yeah. See, you get it. You yo, get yo, it. Yo, yo, out, of no. out of space, Eddie gets to say, yo, yo, yo. She's still on her. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But that, that's only on Earth's parameters. I want to make sure he's still alive over there. You know. We should get you in an astronaut outfit. All right, before we get to Eddie on the Eddie Hour, Gad, are there any comments that we should address? Outside or is of Steve, it just all, of Steve McClary. Is, no. it just, is it just troll yeah, jobs? Anyone, it's a lot of trolling, but they're agreeing with you about you know all those comments and all those things that Jordan would make to players really speak to his psycho mentality. Yeah. And the fact that you know that a lot of people don't like you use the word choke in a in description of Jordan's oh, of course not. We can't, it, it hurts uh, the lure. Yeah, you can't. You can't handle that. Uh, I'm sorry. What is that called? When you fail in a, in a in a dire moment, your team needs you to do it. You're the best player. What do they use on LeBron every single fucking time? Right. Yeah, I'm bringing up LeBron. Yeah. Every single time LeBron passes the ball and the guy misses the wide open three, LeBron choked. He didn't want. He didn't want the moment. He the stage want, was he too big. He didn't have the killer instinct. <laughs> he didn't have the killer instinct. Even though Michael not- airballs a fucking <laughs> shot, misses a free throw. <laughs> you set me off. Fuck my life. Okay. We can have a whole podcast. Gone. Says the Davis brothers were tough. That was the last comment from him. And then he said, "Gad is awesome." So we got we got Billy Hodge on our So the, this yeah. side of the aisle, you know, like so. Hold on, the <laughs> Davis brothers were tough. Were they good basketball players, Billy? We got it. We, we'll, we'll I know a lot of tough people. I love when people avoid. I love when people avoid talking about their Jesus. actual being actual talented players. You got to call them tough. He wasn't that good, but he was tough. Yeah, like, like Bill Lambeer. He's such a cop-out, dude. All right. All right, so, so it is officially the Eddie Hour. Such a cop-out. Eddie, how we doing out there on Mars? Um, How's Sammy? Good. How's the horse? Uh, Mr. Horse, uh, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> Mr. Ed? He's, he's taking in a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, oxygen with that mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him that we got a full segment coming his way, full so same. stay tuned. Yeah, just keep your mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, what's going on, bro? Okay. All right, so... I got three questions for you guys. Uh, my first question is uh, UFC related. With uh, Henry Cejudo's shocking retirement, because it was shocking to me, will he stay retired or will he come back? Money talks. Um, knowing Dana White and knowing how many UFC fighters have announced retirements and have come back several times, I would not be shocked at all. If Cioto comes back and fights at least one more time, he's only 33 years old, and we see several UFC fighters fight into their 40s. So the dude's a freak athlete. You can make the case he's the pound-for-pound best fighter in the UFC, especially the way he dominated Dominic Cruz, a veteran legend in the UFC. The way he dominated his ass in that fight, Cioto is still very much at the top of his game. I think his mindset right now is, I have nothing left to prove. So let me go and enjoy because he sacrificed so much to get to where he's at. He sacrificed 11 plus years of his life since he was 11. He said he's been sacrificing his life and moving on from his family and not taking that as seriously. I think it's going to, he's going to have some time to, to enjoy his family and make memories. And then maybe he gets that bug again. He wants to fight again. It's, it's a fighting is different than any other sport. It isn't, you don't play it. You don't play UFC. You don't play mixed martial arts. You don't play boxing. You fight. And it's instilled in you. You can't just become a fighter. It has to be something that's innate. Yeah. It has to be something built inside of you. That's not going to leave Seoto. That's not going to leave any of these guys. So if he gets the if he gets the urge again, you better believe Dana White's going to sign his ass up for at least one card. So my bet is, yes, we will see him again. Yeah, just like GSP, you know, when you know, we've seen this over and over, and Conor McGregor and people that have you know left it or came back or blah blah blah. He's kind of pulling an MJ right now, I think. I think he will return. Money does definitely talk. Um, it, I mean, if he, like I said, if he retires and this is it for him, 
kudos, man, because you're retiring on top. You have two belts. Nothing you're left opening to prove. up two weight classes to to compete for a belt. Um, you know, and if he wants us to, you know, continue being a family man and and you know live his life, 100. I'm cool with that. I don't think he'll leave the sport entirely. I'm pretty sure he'll train still or or you know breed another fighter or whatever. Because most guys that get out yeah. of it end up becoming some kind of trainer and have their own next guy. They they're training up to be the next whatever. Just like GSP has done and trained a lot of guys like Gufferson and other fighters that have been trained by GSP. Um, I, I hope he comes back honestly because I think he's he's just good for the sport. You know, anybody who had, who earns two belts simultaneously and can just retire whenever they feel like because you're that much of a badass yeah you're good for the sport man yep. please come back i hope he comes back um he's still young enough to fight for a few more years a solid few more years and that weight class you know he it's not too demanding on your body you're not like he's not like he's a super heavyweight you know trying to you know keep that size and that's hard on your heart he's a smaller built guy he can fight he's wiry and plus he's, he's, he's a great story to, yeah he's oh absolutely and he's fun to watch so i i i believe in that he's retired for now but I do have uh, – the chances are of him coming back, I think, are higher than him not. So. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, my second question is, what are your thoughts on uh, Fox using uh, mm. crowd noise and digitizing fans for the NFL game? I want to hear your thoughts about that. I've been battling this one back and forth all week long because it is kind of funny. It's it's like it's basically Madden in real life. Uh, it, but at this time, I mean, life is stranger than fiction right now. So at this point, like where we're at right now, it sounds ridiculous. But let's say we watch a couple weeks of football and a massive comeback victory happens <laughs> and it's silent. Yeah. Or a guy breaks an NFL record for a single season rushing, you know, yards record, or Patrick Mahomes throws eight touchdowns in a game and breaks the single game touchdown record, and it's quiet. I think we're going to be a little bit more on board with the idea of digitized help. I think we would be the whole like fan thing where you digitize fans in there would be really odd, even with that all considered. But the noise is something I could get on board with just because it, it adds to the TV experience and Fox. If we know anything about their network, they are ahead of the game yeah. and they've been ahead of the game since they brought Terry Bradshaw on and like 93. Yeah. So, I think this is a good idea if I'm going to put it in a vacuum. If I have to just make a decision right this very second in May, I'm going to say this is a damn good decision. I think it's actually going to pay dividends. Yeah, did you watch the UFC last weekend? Like It was so awkward. Even just watching two guys battle out in an octagon with no noise. All you hear is the bone crackling hits, and which is cool to hear that. But, dude, I was watching it at a party, and shout out to the guys I was out watching the party with. Uh, he had his own crowd noise on his little speaker that he would turn up when we were watching the fight. <laughs> Anytime anything excited happened, he would crank up the – it was hilarious. <laughs> that's was, awesome. that's it, innovative. It, it, that's it, innovative. It, it, when he would turn it off, <laughs> when he turn it, off it felt – it was so weird. So, like, I, I mean – I mean, we can ask the Seattle Seahawks, you know, about you know, imp- <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. Things allowed on Falcons. They 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 did it for yeah, sure. Yeah, these teams have tried to compete with the Chiefs for you know being allowed a stadium, you know, and using you know synthetic noise. We can go there, but I mean, Fox doing that, I think it only makes sense because it's gonna, like you said, watching football without crowd noise on the on the broadcast, it would just not feel right. It would be so weird. It it would, I don't know. Yeah, but I think this is like only a good thing. I don't think that this could be a possibly a negative thing. It is kind of embarrassing for the NFL to even think about doing that. Or, or sports in general to think about having you know no fans out there with no crowd noise would just be bizarre. And I think, I think it's only a good move. So yeah, so I'm think, with it. Do so you guys think other networks should kind of like follow suit? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it works, it's like this. It's it's not just a copycat league when it comes to the, what's on the field. Right. If Fox pioneers the way they do most times, other like CBS and NBC and all these other guys are going. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, it works. 
Fox did it. We, why can't we? Now it might not be at the same grade or quality, but that, it's not going to stop them because it's going to help. It's going to help ratings and and fans. If fans like it, if you get, if you get positive responses, yeah. it'd be they'd be idiots to not do it still. Well, so they should, they should they should allow profanity too on the broadcast. That'd be I'm fucking saying. great. Pat McAfee up there like fuck yeah, that was a great fucking touchdown, bitch. Celebrity deathmatch type broadcast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like unfiltered. You know how they have like the they have like uh, the last dance on ESPN, ESPN two. Dude, it's been great. Fuck it, get Monday Night so Football wrong. on yeah. both channels and make this thing a fuck fest, dude. Let's do this thing. I would love that. That'd be great. Sign me up. Romo, he's gonna run fucking left here. <laughs> hey, Jim. we're signing out right, for Monday Night Football. Yeah. Fuck you. You know, what I mean? <laughs> on the other uh, one's like, beep. Talking about, hey, ratings, ratings. Thank you. Oh, that's so good that the kids got to watch this with us. <laughs> They're gonna have a simple. Holly, we have such a great family. Oh, All right. So my next question, I actually just thought of one more question to add to this, but your thoughts on DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar? Are we looking at a release from the respective team or just a suspension? So from what I heard today, there was a new development that came out a few hours uh, before we started airing tonight that uh, I believe it was Baker – or no, was it Dunbar? I believe it was Dunbar that's, that has affidavits signed, like five or six affidavits that show that he did not do anything that they're claiming him to do. Yeah. Um, this has been a mess. Yeah. I, there was no other way of putting it. Whether it did happen or didn't happen, this is going to put a massive mark on both of their careers. And it's just really unfortunate, regardless of guilty or innocent, because these are the these are the type of things that it's it's just so unnecessary. I mean, you have guys like Richard Sherman now coming out who are former teammates saying like this is an act of desperation. You can clearly see that. For me, it's so cloudy because I feel like these are the type of situations you have to kind of you had to have been there to really understand what exactly happened. And especially if one of these guys are saying that they have proof they didn't di do it, then you have to ask the question of where the integrity lies in any of it. Yeah. Did it ever really happen? It almost I don't want to bring this up too like too much to make this the part of the conversation, but it's just like the Tyreek Hill situation where we get initial reports and we just automatically assume that's exactly how it went. Oh wait. It was an edited video of 11 minutes that we didn't really get. And then you have people's heads rolling at networks. Mm. That could very well be this case. I'm not saying that is. Most of the time it's not. But the point remains that we don't know shit at this point because now if he's willing to take legal action and have people testify for him, that sounds like a confident person. So I'm going to right now sit back and let this thing unfold because I've made the mistake of jumping to conclusions yeah. with the rest of everybody and I look like a dipshit myself. Yep. Not hard for me to do, but in those situations especially, something I shouldn't have done and I'm not going to do it in this one. Yeah, these waters are too muddy for me to have hold any kind of sustainable opinion right now. I just... Uh... There's too much. There's too many things going on. There's too. There's still a lot of things in the mix that are being said, and, and the story's changing. Like you said, with the, the perfect example is the Tyreek situation. Like we obviously initially all emotionally uh, reacted to the story. Um, so I don't want to do that again. I'm trying to, you know, as a skeptical person myself, I'm trying to gather everything, and I'm I'm going to trust the league. As weird as that is, hard as that is to say, sometimes I'm going to trust the league to make the right decision. I think they made the right decision in allowing Tyreek Hill situation to play itself out. That obviously worked out for you know for Tyreek himself and the Chiefs. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean I don't have too much to say about this. There's so many parts at play still right now. So yeah, no idea, man. Yeah, I, and just the the question that I that I thought about was, I know Monday Night Football is doing a little shakeup with their uh, commentators. I want to hear your thoughts as to who you think or who you want 
in that Monday Night Football. Sure, I already know who I want. Well, I think Kurt Warner would be really good. Uh, I think that would be a good a good guy to have. I don't know if he has the personality to to really drive it home. I would love Dan Orlovsky. I think he'd be great, and uh, uh, Lewis Riddick. I think those guys would be really good to bounce back and forth because they dis- they tend to disagree a lot of times, and they have enough personality and flair to, and obviously knowledge of the game. I think the wild card obviously is Pat Nack. Yes, and, and I knew that was the guy he's. You gonna- already know Pat. Pat is so lively. Ass, he's got the wit. Yeah. he has the humor, but he's, but he's got the knowledge of the game. He's so quick witted. I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think he did actually. Yeah, he did. He and then when the guy kicked the field goal, he like went nuts and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, so. He's the perfect wild yes. card. I, I really hope they he would use grab him. Ratings. I don't care what anybody yeah, says. Yeah, you got you got to have your stiffs. You got to have your guys that are like, well, this is how you break the you know game film down. You got to have and he's those a player. Guys. And he's yeah. a player. Like Dan Patrick talked about it this last week about how he just wants guys to call the game, but yeah. you have to have your guys that are humorous at the same time. Booger McFarland tried and he just failed. He's not good at his job. Yeah. He's better at just having you know having a side job as a personality on a on a midday show, he's an NFL but, Live yeah. type of show. He's knowledgeable of the game, but he's just not set for that type of thing. I think Dan Orlovsky, Lewis Riddick, Lewis and Riddick a Pat McAfee sure. would be so awesome as color guys. Yes. As far as a, as far as play-by-play, I, I would give anything for them to get Mike Tirico back. If they can get a Mike Tirico back, he it's was perfect yeah. for Monday Night Football. I wish they could get him back, but that's probably not going to happen. So your guess is as good as mine as far as who's going to be the play, play-by-play guy. Those three dudes, sign them yesterday, man, because they would be perfect to bring back Monday Night Football to the glory of what Gruden and Madden and those guys yeah. once brought to yeah, it. Yeah, Pat McAfee's even talked about it. He's hinted at it on his podcast. So I hope he's, he gets he told it. ESPN, I'm waiting for the phone call. Hey, and that could bring us to the unfiltered Monday Night Football, motherfucker. Dude, he- Pat, Pat is so good. He's so good. And Pat and Pat McAfee is only going to get better. He's so good. Yeah, and we got a lot of comments from people agreeing with that. Um, Billy Hodge and I mean, wow, Steve, everybody's agreeing with you guys. Yeah, like, this is this is perfect. So I mean, how can you really like Pat McAfee? That guy, just, he's he he's it. epic, man. Dude, his podcast his is amazing. Every time he's on like, like on a guest appearance on like the Get Up Show or anything, that he's he's so he roasts everybody. That energy. He's so quick witted. He brings that energy, it, man. man. People want that on Monday Night Football. They they worked all day. Yeah. You know, they had a shitty Him day. Or lost, or lost Monday suck. Awesome. You know, so people want to just de- decompress, watch football, and add that little flair to it. It really sets it off. He's man. got really good IQ for the game too. I think he, I think even play by play, he'd be really good. Right. So his energy st- stays steady. That's why I like him. And he's very quick witted and he's funny. He would make it entertaining for sure. Sign him. Yeah. I'm with it. Thank you, Eddie. We appreciate it. I, I it, it, the timing's been incredible. You being, you know, 20 million miles away from us. That's pretty incredible <laughs> yeah. that we can have this type of conversation. Thank you, Gat. You are the real MVP. We appreciate that. Um, so don't hold your breath, Sammy, because we have a segment coming up for you. Yeah. He's bringing it all in. That, Bring rep- it all in. that reptilian cosmic. We yeah. have some thoughts on the article that just came out this week from Bleacher Report uh, in regards to our guy over here, Sammy Watkins. Holy shit. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to one Sammy Watkins. We already kind of knew that he was off kilter. Yeah, there's a whole nother dynamic with this guy. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this, guys, because I'm going to actually turn this and flip this into an absolute positive and why you should put both arms around one Sammy Watkins and enjoy him as a Kansas City Chief. We'll get back to that after this.
Midcoast Modern is a Kansas City focus on modern, handmade, and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast, and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number four. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell, That's good. Eddie Ortiz, good. Mission for Mars himself, and the real MVP, Miss Gat. Hi. Look, I didn't say yo, yo, yo this time. <laughs> She's keeping that, you know. I got my lawyers in there. <laughs> Are they out there in Mars with you? Yeah. Eddie, we got here as soon as we could. <laughs> cool. <laughs> we were watching Project, or Apollo 18, and we got inspired. So I don't know if you guys missed it or not, but we've been hinting it all night, and I've been really excited to talk about this all week long. But in case you did miss it, uh, Bleacher Report's Tyler Dunn had an opportunity to sit down with the greatest wide receiver, the greatest playoff wide receiver in Chiefs history, one Sammy Watkins. Got to sit down and have a big-ass chat with our guy, Sammy Watkins. The first few paragraphs are nothing short of Charlie Sheen-like hyperbole and sheer entertainment rhetoric from Sammy. And I highly recommend, and when I say I highly, I highly recommend uh, you read this article for the first first few thousand plus words alone. But there's some serious takeaway in this article, and to me, the most important part wasn't the insane talk, wasn't the conspiracy theories, or even the fact that Sammy mentioned potentially being reincarnated into his future son. No, he really quoted in saying that. It was his self-reflection. Touching on and owning what caused his early career string of injuries during his Bills tenure, how his nightly parting habits deteriorated his young body, and how he fell deeply into a depression with life in general while hiding it from his teammates. I can't imagine how tough that was on him. How he mentions his fighting a war outside of football, how all of his friends were facing life in prison, and the chaos that consumed his entire life in general. When he touched on the breaking point, he recounts a time in which in front of his entire team on the team bus, he collapsed in the arms of his position coach and cried. He seriously considered retirement in his early 20s. Following this, dealing with a serious foot and ankle injury, instead of continuing rehab, Sammy decided to exclude himself from the team facilities, leaving everyone in the dark, not knowing what is going on in his life. He ends up ripping his boot off of his foot that he was trying to rehab with and began running on it, causing an even bigger and more, far more severe injury. The point is, Sammy Watkins was a complete and utter mess. And he needed to wake the hell up. And wake the hell up he did. Saying that the night before the Super Bowl 54, he felt like, quote, Superman, fucking Superman. And we all know the facts of what went down and how Sammy was nothing short of a superhero in that game like he is every time he straps up for a playoff game. You could make the case that the Chiefs and football saved Sammy. But you have to give credit to Sammy for saving the Chiefs in many ways as well. And we need to give this unique man, a talented athlete, a ton of credit for not only what he's overcome on the field, but what he's continually continually overcoming off of it. 
As I tweeted out this week, I'll say it here and I'll say it again and again and again. I personally love Sammy Watkins. And I am so happy that he is one of us and he is a Kansas City Chief. Will not lie, it was very tough to read some of the things that I had read in this article. Joking aside, it worries me. Period, point blank. It scares the shit out of me for Sammy Watkins moving forward. But I do believe that Sammy Watkins is on a better path, a much better path than he was six, seven years ago. And I can only hope that being around guys like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and these other guys with the Chiefs that keep him level-headed is only going to benefit not only just the player, no matter how long he's here, but also the person. Because if we know anything about football, we know anything about sports, Trevor, you and I played, Eddie, you played, Gat, I'm sure you played sports too. There's a camaraderie you build in those clubhouses and those locker rooms and those people that last forever. Whether you are still close friends or not, you're always going to be a part of that person's life and a part of their a certain part of their chapters or in their book. And I hope that Sammy gets the help he needs. And if he hasn't, or if he already has, that's great. If he hasn't, he needs to get it immediately. I don't know what it is. I'm not a professional. I'm not a psychologist. But reading these things, it tells you that this man has fallen deep into something that he needs to get himself out of. But like I said, with that comes the redemption. And I believe that being able to play at the stage that he has is giving him that platform to be able to get himself out of this darkness. And I think it's working. Eddie, I'm going to start with you. You read this article, and we talked about it before the show, before we started recording. Give the people your thoughts on this in in, in its entirety. Like like he said, some of of the parts in this article, like all joking aside, it just makes you wonder how, how his mental health is. You know, like, does he have any kind of issues? Like, what is going on in his life that's making him, you know, talk about this, this, this issues and like his beliefs. I mean, we can talk about beliefs and, and all that stuff, but like just reading, reading those answers, the, the explanations he was given, like how he was saying that, like how we were joking earlier about him, uh, the horse, like he called himself, like, he's not like, he's not himself when he's playing football. He's like a horse. Like he compares himself to like a dinosaur or whatever. And then a horse. And, it's the reincarnation and stuff. And the reincarnation. He said he's died many times already. Uh, that he's been, I think, abducted by aliens, if I remember correctly, or some. some he's, like he that. is an alien. He's seen aliens. Well, he is an alien, is what he yeah, claims. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just not something uh, like a a healthy person would say, you know, like a. a <laughs> I mean, you you can you can argue that, yeah. but at the same time, it's kind of like this reminds me of Tamahali, like of the situation that he was mm-hmm. having. Not that long ago. Yeah, right? post career. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it just makes you wonder. Like, I think Tom Holly got help for that, and we're glad that he got the help that he he got because he really needed it. Mm-hmm. So th- this only reminds me of that, and, and I hope Sammy, you know, overcomes everything, and I hope there's nothing really wrong with him, and it's just his beliefs. So that I mean, I'm just gonna leave it at that, man. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um halfway through the article man i i forgot i was reading an article on an athlete i, I it felt like i was reading an hp lovecraft novel mm. like i it, something happened to sammy watkins guys like something ha- he had a mental breakdown somewhere in his life and it probably happened in buffalo he's probably there's nothing to do in buffalo but party guys and i think he partied literally every I, night i don't know i don't know if someone slipped anything in his drink or if he smoked something that was laced with something i don't know 
what happened to him. He said he collapsed in his coach's arms and crying. I think I think this is the all. Someone who's had who struggled with mental health most of my life. I, I'm not saying I can relate to this level, um, but uh, I've had my mental episodes in my life, but not even compared compared to this level. Something happened to him to where he is convinced of these things because you want to talk about beliefs. He truly believes that this is what's coming out of his mouth and is being reported. It sounds funny and it's easy to make fun of because it's out there, literally and figuratively. Uh, but he believes it nonetheless. Uh, you, beliefs are something that you're convinced of. If he's convinced that this is what he believes, football aside, because most of this article has nothing to do with football outside of him predicting things happening play by play and him making things happening and him predicting two more Super Bowls. I really hope he's right on that one, um, at least for his career with, with the Chiefs. But I think there was also something about him um, talking about, his, you know, early before the contract, before he was talking about how he's not going to take anything less with, you know, uh, coming out and saying that they, you know they, he needs to be respected for his production and so on and so forth, uh, but eventually he took the pay cut and stayed here in KC. So money does talk, and and and, and uh, success obviously is a major factor for him. And I believe, like I said from the very get go of, of any conversation we've had on Sammy Watkins, I believe I truly believe he likes it here. Um, it's a very good home to be here in the Midwest. It's you know there's a lot of Southern uh, hospitality around here, so I think he just is comfortable here with his family. Uh, I don't, honestly, with this article, I don't really know where to begin with the crazy stuff. Like, it kind of just starts and didn't, it's crazy kind of all the way through. It's definitely like, a rabbit I, hole. I literally felt like I was reading a, a science fiction novel. And I'm not I'm not trying to shit on Sammy Watkins. Like, even if he was here, I would be like, bro, what? Bro, like, what is how? Are you like, is this really, are you really convinced that you've been abducted and you are an alien and you believe in me? Re- there's a lot of people that believe in reincarnation. There's a lot of people that believe in a lot of strange things. But if he's out here telling me that he's, in and out of his body in the middle of games and he's he's predicting you know he's 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 in defensive players bodies and minds when he's on the sidelines helping them make plays defensively and all this it's just like uh, as long as he's producing on the field dude like i don't really care you can believe whatever you want man you can you can <laughs> that's kind of where i'm at as well I, yeah, I, all of that it was really just reading that was mostly just i felt there's entertainment like it had nothing really to do with football outside of this is pretty much just like kind of diving into the mind the all-seeing eye of sammy watkins the reptilian mind of sammy watkins i it was it was a fun read because it was super bizarre and interesting but at the same time on a serious note i do worry about his mental health a little bit him being a father and a family man and raising kids beliefs can be dangerous man like i i give people shit all the time for believing in like you know signs and stuff like this and you know astrology whatever i don't necessarily believe in i know a lot of people do it and it teaches own but like I love Sam Watkins. I'm glad he's a chief. I hope we can keep him for a few more years. He's his production's great, especially in the playoffs. Regardless of the absolutely bat shittery that was going on in that article, I'm glad he's still here. I'm glad he's going to contribute to furthering our success with Patrick Mahomes' career. So, yeah, glad to hear, buddy. Yeah, if I can get maybe some of your thoughts on this too, because I mean, we've all talked about Sammy throughout the last two years, and he is he's a unique person and athlete because. In some ways, he's a very quiet, kept guy. But when you get to know the person and you hear the things he says and he tweets out, 
you know there's so much more behind the eyes of this person and in that brain of his and in that heart of his. And I think to his core, he's a great person. But I want you to kind of give us your thoughts on this real quick. If you could maybe just touch on it a little bit of what you your take. I don't know if you read the article or not, but if you do, oh, okay, you did. Yeah. So give us, I would love to hear your thoughts on this from your viewpoint. No, it's so much of what makes the player happy and what makes him perform best on the field. Just like Trev said, yeah. it does not matter to me if someone believes that Jesus is going to come down a slide in Independence, Missouri and burn his ass in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And that's going to be his resurrection coming back. Or if there's reptilian people, it's actually reptilian people that he's against because they're like the archaic like, right. inner, like it, it's crazy because like I meditate all the time. I'm very much in the metaphysical world and I just love hearing all of it because I just, I love hearing what people believe because mm -hmm. i think it's fascinating so this was just another article i don't think people like sammy are um at any risk of hurting their families with any of this stuff but when you start putting it out there like mm -hmm. how far out there you are people are always going to criticize who you are and that's where i think he's not going to be able to handle people coming in and questioning his beliefs and questioning him because that could lead to an overwhelming um mental breakdown again so i don't think it's the beliefs that will do it but it's going to be the feedback from it just kind of like you're like dude, what are you talking about? Yeah. And for a lot of people, like, I'm easily like, yeah, I can, I can see this shit, whatever. But I'm totally one of those people that just, like, looks at everything and sees, like, the big picture. So I think you're spot on with as long as this doesn't affect his performance on the right. field. Maybe this will give people some empathy to what these guys getting hit in the head does. Yeah. Um, I, think you, I think you just nailed it on the head what you said, though, about how it's going to be how he handles – because there's going to be criticism out there. If, we, if there's something in the article that was stated that caught my eye as well when he talks about how – he did say something that was very careless because Buffalo Bills fans are some of the most loyal fans in the NFL. They, bar none. They really, really are. They're yeah. amazing fans. I always call, consider them the cousins of Chiefs fans. Like, yeah. we're, we're so, yeah. there's so many similarities about us. Yeah. Just loyal to a fault, small market. Our teams have sucked for the majority of our lifetimes, you know, things like that. They have a worse love They're up in the New York area. Right, right. Yeah. You're dominated. But he said something, and I think that he was already kind of at this place that he is now, and he has been for years up there in Buffalo. And I think a lot of fans knew that because, again, up in Buffalo, all you have is football. All you have is you know Bills. Even LaShawn McCoy said. It. So yeah, he was getting. He was he was the fourth overall pick yeah. in the 2014 draft. You know they loved him up there. They they wanted him to work out, and he was a damn good player. So they knew that he was probably an odd guy. He was in the city every single night partying, every single night drinking, smoking weed. You knew he knew the locals, and the locals knew him, right? But when he got frustrated at that press conference and said, y'all go back to your little jobs, that's what set it off. So in my opinion, see, the, the Chiefs and Chiefs fans have already dealt with a guy who's kind of a unique, eclectic person. He goes by the name of Larry Johnson. You know why a lot of people don't like Larry Johnson? It's because he's an asshole. <laughs> He just is. The guy's not a. You, he acts a certain way in front of you, but if you, he's a bully on Twitter. He says some weird ass shit, and he doesn't step down from it. It's how you approach the fan base. If Sammy stays respectful to the fans that love him and adore him, it's gonna stay that way on the opposite side. They're gonna give that right back to him, even if he's weird as shit. But in the time that we're in, in society, where mental health is at an all-time precipice, where we are focusing on it and we're not downplaying it like we did when we were growing up. I remember movies and TV shows and music, always you'd use the R word. And it was something that we used it and we, we used and we made the people feel less that if they were different. Mm. There is no such thing as normal. Yes, Sammy is different than most of us, but there is no such thing as normal. And I believe the majority of Chiefs fans are going to continue to embrace this guy as long as he continues to show that same respect. And quite frankly, if we're just going to be real for a second, 
He produces. If Sammy plays well like he has in the playoffs, no one's saying shit. We're just going to keep joking about it. We care about the guy. Like I said, I'm glad he's a chief. I'm glad he's weird. I'm always, I like I'm always weird. been a Sammy guy. So I think it's great. Yeah. you got to have these. The, like we talk, We just talked about Pat McAfee. Yeah. He's an odd dude. He's funny as shit. He's different. I like different. we we got to have people that break the mold. I guarantee you the Chiefs love having him in the locker room. You don't think Travis Kelsey and the dudes are sitting there dude. laughing? What the fuck is Sammy talking dude, about? This how, is great. Man, think about it, though. How fucking dope would it be to see mid-stride as he's catching the football for a wide-open touchdown, he transitions into a horse and runs it into the end zone. I mean, how epic would that be? I mean, that would be the most unforgettable moment in football history. He's like, <laughs> making his way and galloping into the end zone. I mean, it would be the best touchdown of all time. This turns into black beauty. I he want that to see happen, biscuit over here. <laughs> I want that to happen. Andy so Reid's you know, hanging out, you know. Like, like yes. What the hell are we talking about? I don't know. This is weird. Thanks, Sammy. It's look look what you've done to our show. I appreciate it. <laughs> Can't wait for Larry to chime in. Look, th- th- this is the I, I I know that every. And I don't know if we have any comments right now regarding this, but the fact is is that we we love players that 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 show it back to us. And like I said, if they can produce, if if Sammy like if Sammy wasn't good in the playoffs, he wouldn't be in Kansas City right now. Weird, normal, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's about it's business at the end of the He's day. He's a hero in the playoffs, and man. we get that here in Kansas City. We love our players more than most cities. Most cities are done with guys immediately. They don't give a fuck what kind of person they are. If he was in New York, he'd probably be getting lambasted right now about all this. And when he was in LA, I'm sure there was plenty of comments being made when he was out there, especially because of the fact he wasn't producing at a high level. I am with Sammy Watkins 100 as long as he's here in Kansas City because I believe that. With the talent becomes a sincere person. I believe this is sincerely who Sammy Watkins is. I don't think this is an act. I don't think he's trying to portray something to get him an acting career one day. It would make sense, but it's not really what's going on. I think this is truly who he is. And I think as a society, as a people, let's continue to rally around this guy. Because honestly, that's what he needs the most. He needs people to be in his corner, not against him. I love the sincerity behind this. Do I understand what he's saying? Do I understand what he's talking about? Fuck no, I don't. I yeah. don't get that stuff because I don't struggle with those things. Well, and that, that needs to bleed into the locker room as well because he he was mentioning, I don't know if this is another article or pre-article stuff that he was talking about, but talking about how like he wasn't being marketed by the Chiefs. The Chiefs were kind of avoiding using him as a marketing product because they're like, even like posters and things like that would be, that would have like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek and, and, and Pat or Travis Kelsey, Tyreek, Pat and Damian Williams. Like and, and Sammy wouldn't be on some of that stuff as far as like commercials and being just marketed in general. I think he had a problem with that as well. So I think that should bleed into the locker room. What you're saying right now, us as fans supporting him, I think that should bleed into the locker room as well, especially after this article, because there's going to be some, I think most people are just going to poke fun of this and not like have a lot of like legitimate scrutiny towards it. Because gonna, he's not a superstar. Right. It's, well, it's going to be downplayed as like just an odd thing, and he's going to be looked at as a weirdo. So I right. think I think he's going to need probably more support than ever after well, this. That, but that's, that's, that's where he has to understand that, that with, with one thing comes another, because if he was a superstar player, yeah. he'd be getting criticized for things like this. That's why this Bleach Report article did make some waves, but it's not leading shows. It's not leading Colin Coward's show. It's well, not leading is, yeah, this, First Things First. It's not leading yeah. ESPN Sports Center and things like that, because why? Because although George Harrison wrote the songs for the Beatles, you had John Lennon and Paul McCartney, there were the stars. Yeah. That's Tyree killed Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. This is too, like this is like he's not those. This guys. has the feel of like a post career. Like when you like you mentioned Tom Ali. This this has a feeling of like a post career CTE. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not saying he has oh. brain damage in any way. Oh, but like yeah. this has a feel of like something that someone like after their career is over and they kind of lost their identity. This is a guy that's in the prime of his career still on a championship team. 
you know, that's saying a lot of this weird stuff. So he's going to catch some flack and some scrutiny and be made fun of a lot, I'm sure. Um, but he's, yeah, he's going to need support in that locker room. He's hopefully he has the career that he's predicting. You know, if that's what he, if his predictions come to pass, like that, I'm hoping so, man. I'm, we're all here for you. We all support you. So I'm, the Chiefs believe it. in him. They, they believe in the talent. They believe in the person. Yeah. This is the type of franchise that, it, like, again, is very calculated. If they felt like he was too much of a loose cannon, they would trade him, you yeah. know, or they would they would have never resigned him. They would never restructured. They would cut him. They'd have, you know they would try to find some of, something of value outside of him because he is only twenty six, soon to be twenty seven right. years old. Right. They know he's got the talent and capabilities. He's shown up in the biggest stages. That's why he's still here, Absolutely. and he's family. Let's just be real here, man, for a second. He is family. Yeah. We need to treat him like family. We all go to freaking Thanksgiving and Christmases, right? And we all got that one cousin or weird uncle that just is offbeat as fuck. But we accept these people for who they are because they're a part of us. That's what he is, man. Let's just keep it simple. I again, I I, I didn't understand the article. I tried to get through it as much as as well as I could without taking a drug test. But it was it was what it was. He is who he is, and I accept Sammy Watkins for what he is because that dude shows up when our team needs him the most, and I appreciate that the most. He does his job. Would I like to see him do better during the regular season? Hell yeah, man! Especially the money he made over the last two seasons. But we've always said on this show. If we can get playoff Sammy and deal with the repercussions during the regular season, sign us up. Because I would much rather be that way than him ball out in the regular season and then to disappear in the playoffs. We'd rather take door number one. I'm knocking on door number one each and every time. So, Sammy, we love you so much, man. I don't know if you'll ever see this. I don't know if you'll ever even know who the hell we are. But just understand that we at The Spoken Podcast love you and support you through all your journeys, through all the darkness and all the shit you've been through, man. I don't know what it is that you've gone through or what it is you're still going through, but you're an overcomer, man. We believe that you're going to continue to overcome and continue to ball out on Sundays, man. So we're going to leave it there. If you guys have comments on that, we'd love to hear from you guys. Until then, we are going to move right now to the Monday Mailbag. Yeah, to all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, niggas who ain't got no feelings. Feelings. Check it out, man. Located in the historic Westport District, Modern Man Supply Company is your Kansas City's new home for men's retail. From apparel to pomade and home goods to beard care, they offer a wide range of men's products from independent companies from around the world. Follow them at Modern Man Supply Company on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. It is time for the Monday Mailbag. Every single Monday, what we do is we give you guys the platform, the opportunity to basically take over an entire segment. You guys give us your questions, your concerns, your debates, your discussions, your topics, whatever you have, you send to us every single Monday on the post, and then Eddie relays it to us, and we give you guys our most honest, unfiltered opinion as humanly possible. And that's what we're going to do right now. But real quick, Sammy Watkins, if you're listening to this uh, out there in Mars with Eddie, lift both hands and open your mouth if you agreed with the segment we just had. Okay, thank you very much, Sammy. We do appreciate that. Okay. Eddie, what is in the Monday mailbag? All right, man. I don't know if you guys want to take a gamble again for who's uh Ooh, let's do this. No, this is good. Uh, I'm going to go with Donnie Couch this week. Mm. Is it a wild card? Maybe it's like maybe Ruben like threw in there. Yeah. I wanted to say Donnie. Donnie Couch is my guess. But, yeah. Um, we can double down. Double down. Donnie. Let's double down. Uh, Billy Damn, Damn it, Billy. <laughs> Fuck you, Billy. Damn it, William. He's like, oh, he's like, only my father calls me. He blocks us. <laughs> only my dad calls me that. Never again. Never again. You're not good at all. You're not worthy to call me William, bitch. That's why I'm the ugly, right? Good, bad, and the ugly. I was the ugly. 
I'm just I'm just yeah, a nasty right, cesspool of a human. You got, you got it right. Yeah, better be All a doozy. Right. Go ahead, Eddie Hodge. Okay. This question is: When did the Chiefs start looking into a, an extension for Kelsey? This is a good question. I'm so glad, Billy. You know what? I take back everything I just said, William. Yeah. I mean, Billy. You're the best. You're the best. And I'm so glad you started off the Monday mailbag. Here's the thing, man. I have 100% confidence that Travis Kelsey is going to finish his career in Kansas City. And I know he's got two years left on his deal. The dude is getting paid like Scotty Pippen was. Yeah. It's amazing that Travis Kelsey has not once bitched about this, at least publicly. This dude is like the quintessential team guy. It's amazing. He's produced better than any Titan has ever produced in a five-year span yep. in the history of football and has not gotten an extension yet. I fully expect it to happen after this season. I think the Chiefs are going to have a three- or four-year deal worth 30 to $40 million, and he's going to finish his career in Kansas City. I don't want to make this sound like the perfect scenario where it's like the Hollywood ending, but I truly believe that's how this is going to end. You know why? Because the Chiefs would be complete fools to let, to let not one but two of the greatest tight ends of all time start their careers in Kansas City and not finish their careers in Kansas City. Yeah. I fully expect Travis Kelsey will be 31 this season. I don't know how much longer he'll play. He's healthy as hell. He hasn't missed a game since 2013. Yeah. I fully expect Travis Kelsey to play at least another three or four seasons. And I think all three or four of those seasons will be in Kansas City. He'll make his money at the back end of his career, and he will be forever cemented as a true great of the Chiefs. I, I I don't see any scenario where the Chiefs let him walk, especially if he can produce anywhere to the level he has over the last five seasons. Yeah, there's there, just like with the Patrick, I look at it the same way as I look. I mean, it's not obviously the same as far as the amount we're talking, but it's the same mentality and and and, and uh, mindset towards these players i think there's so much trust between the front office and the, and the and the elite players of this team uh just like we talked about with patrick mahomes having him and his agent having the utmost confidence that he's going to be taken care of regardless if he gets the his contract extension or his his uh everything signed this offseason or next uh i do think that they're going to take care of the guys that got him there and got him the 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 you know the hardware so my guy travis kelsey is definitely going to be taken care of he's on pace to be the best at his position Possibly of all time. I mean, he's, he needs to get up the, the touchdowns, but as far as his production and and catches and and, and yards per per season, I mean, no, no, there's not many guys that have been better than him. And it's like Lance said on the five year stretch that he's had, right, is unmatched. You know, and and, and I'm looking that make that six, seven, eight straight years of this production. You know, thousand yard seasons and you know, uh, you know damn near hundred hundred catch seasons. So I mean, tight ends having wide receiver one numbers and and leading uh, 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 the entire AFC. And, and and receiving, I mean, the, you pay that man. Like he's he's definitely he knows he's underpaid. The front office knows he's underpaid. He's going to get paid. He's going to get taken care of, whether it's this offseason or next. But I'm looking probably next, like you said, next offseason he probably will get extended and taken care of. So, question number two, also from Billy Hodge. Let's put this survey up on Monday, talking about your Jamal Charles Kareem Hunt survey that you put up. Yeah. He says he wants to know what you, uh, what you guys think. He's like, my opinion, Jamal is better than Hunt. Charles had Castle as a quarterback and Haley as a coach. Hunt had Smith and Andy, and the offense was so much better. They scored 121 more points in 2017. So, yeah, I, I intentionally asked this question because I thought it was I thought it was fair because we we had such small sample sizes of both, but we knew that both were incredible running backs and athletes. Um, but I don't think it's as far apart because everybody just assumes that Jamal was just so much better than Kareem because of the yards per carry average. But what people overlook is Kareem's catching ability that separated him from the majority of all running backs 
uh, in the entire NFL. He was such a great downfield runner. Now Jamal's the better galloper. That in, in open, open space, field, yeah. yeah, in open space, Olympic, Jamal was, was second yeah. none in his time. Besides maybe Adrian Peterson. Right. At the same time, Kareem Hunt had a dare I say more well-rounded game to him, and he was a better pass blocker. He was able to protect the quarterback a little bit better than Jamal because he has a, a more solid frame. I think he weighed twenty or thirty more pounds than Jamal did. Jamal was about one ninety-five, whereas Kareem was about two twenty. So, as a as in totality, I think Kareem's the better running back. As in totality, Jamal was the more lightning rod, highlight reel type of player, more exciting. And I won't take away from the fact that we've talked about it m- multiple times that he did great things despite his team, whereas Kareem benefited off of having a great team. So there is the give and take. If I had to take one guy on this team right now, I'm still taking Kareem Hunt for the simple fact that I saw him in this offense. We can assume that Jamal, with his talent and the way he played on those other teams, would benefit off of playing in this offense now, and he probably would. But I saw Kareem Hunt with Alex Smith as his quarterback lead the league in rushing as a rookie, and then the next season have 14 touchdowns in in 10 games. That's something that Jamal didn't do in a 10-game span. So I'm going to stick with Kareem Hunt, even though I do believe that Jamal Charles was the more fun player to watch and had, like I said, the yards per carry record. It's a similar argument to when we've had, uh, what, about a month ago, we were having over uh, one of our texts, we were having a little discussion about uh, Jamal Charles and Priest Holmes when I was saying that I thought Priest Holmes was the better prototypical running back, which I still hold that opinion. I still think Priest Holmes... And, and I, I feel like Kareem Hunt is similar to Priest Holmes in, in as far as the, him being like that prototypical back that can kind of do it all. Um, Jamal Charles definitely being the the absolute deadly threat in the open field and in the passing game because he did – honestly, Jamal Charles did most of his damage in the passing game. Uh, he had a lot of receiving touchdowns. Um, so that was kind of his specialty as far as you know catching it in space and, and doing something with it in space after catching the ball. Obviously, he was amazing <laughs> running the ball with the highest you know yards per carry of all time. Um, so I'm not taking that away from him either. But as far as pure running back, I think I think Kareem Hunt has the, the prototypical necessities as being that bell cow type running back. But like you said, like the human highlight reel was Jamal Charles. I mean, anything, anytime he touched the ball, you never knew what was going to happen. And we've seen numerous times where there was like a pile on top of him. And somehow he squirts out and darts off for a touchdown. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, between him and like guys like him and Chris Johnson were like that same type of back. They were the skinny, undersized, tall, decently tall, about 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, uh, guy. But they were definitely underweight, so they were thinner, and they depended on their speed and their ability to to break out and, and, and just burn past you, whereas Kareem Hunt was amazing. I'm always making the first and second guy miss and never fumbling the ball, always finding a way to keep moving forward was his absolute dog, and I, it still depresses me that he's not on this team, and it sucks. He was amazing to watch. I, I have to agree with you that Kareem Hunt was the better pure running back. But Jamal Charles is obviously a legend in Kansas City. So. But it won't matter in a couple of years when CEH just takes over by storm. Yeah, so. I'm not, man, I'm Don't hoping. Worry, guys. I'm we, hoping we're he can be that guy. Another we're, undersized guy. So. Yeah. All right. So our next question comes from Donnie Couch. Donnie. Hey, guys. It's your retired toothpaste enthusiast here. Mostly because I'm tired of writing this before every question. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just he's just killing it. That's Quitter. It. We get it, Don. Quitter. I'm Donnie. Quitter. He says, my question is, who would you rather have opposite to Frank Clark on this defense? Tomahaw Lee in his prime or Justin Houston in his prime? No question, Justin Houston. Tomahaw Lee was a lot of fun, and he was one of the greatest pass rushers in Chiefs history. 
Justin Houston was better. He was a better athlete. Uh, he had one of the greatest single seasons of all time. And the baddest part about Justin Houston is he bet on himself. Uh, he he went on there in a contract year. I believe he was franchise tagged. And tw- was at 2015, I believe, 2014. And he had 21 and a half sacks. Almost set the NFL single season record. Imagining him next to, or across from Frank Clark. I mean, I'm not going to be able to stand up for a few minutes. Let me just put it like, I need ice. I need ice. Tom, look, you're not going wrong with either one. No. You put Frank Clark and Tom Ali, you're wrecking shit. But Justin Houston was simply the better individual player. He was a more physically gifted, more physically... Uh, he would dominate guys a lot more than Tomba would on a consistent basis. His peak was higher than Tomba's is what I'm saying. So if you're giving me next to Shark, they're, that's the best pass rushing combo in the league by far. I'm going to say Jared Allen. No, uh, <laughs> I wish I could say Jared Allen. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Plot yeah. twist. Yeah. yeah. No, um, I'm probably going to go Justin Houston too, but I think the guys are – Neck and neck, honestly. I think Tom Ali was the more technician-type player. His, his technique was incredible. I mean, just the way his, his arm movements, the way he would get around guys and his swimming move and all that stuff, his, his ability to spin off guys was and get pressure on the quarterback consistently was amazing to watch. He's an awesome, another legend in Kansas City. Uh, Love Tom, but I got to meet him a few times when I worked at Lifetime Fitness. Uh, I would watch him walk in the swimming pool and just create waves like he was Godzilla. Um, anyways, but I would have to go with as far as the talent – Per talent goes, I'm going Justin Houston. I just think Justin Houston was more of the get after the quarterback type guy. And he proved it with the what the 15 or 20 sack season. Um, yeah. So as far as talent for talent goes, I'm going Justin Houston. I think he was the better talent. Well, and we forget that Justin Houston was also a first grade, first round talent, just like Tomba was. Right. It was just that he had, Smoke, had the smoking weed pot. situation and dropped him to the third round, which and fell he, dealt the with some he dealt with some injuries later on in his career that kind of slowed him down. But he's still playing good football. Well, like you said he bet on himself and yeah. he proved it. You he's know, still he, playing good yeah. football in Indy. So no, yeah, yeah, he played well last year for yeah. sure. I would take the rapper. Honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the BYU brawler. I can't, I can't wait till you guys get to the segment. Like, who's your favorite Chiefs rapper of all time? <laughs> I wonder if Lynn Dawson ever dropped a track. You know what I, I mean? Lenny the Cool. That's like a badass. Tra- maybe like trap music. You know what I mean? Like. L- 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 his like drunk stumblings, like, yeah. and, like let's it. get Mad Marlin to get uh Mark, Lenny, yes. Lenny on the show. Yes, yeah. hit up Mad Marlin. Let's right do it. There. Yeah, run your mouth, Casey. What's good? Let's do it. All right, so Donnie Couch again. My last question is what Lance's thoughts are about. Oh, fuck. he's testing my English. <laughs> <laughs> do I need to pull up? <laughs> my last question what Lance's thoughts are about the break. Egregious. Egregious. Tank like Craig Stout that he would rather have a glass of apple juice than a waffle. Dude, my guy Craig. You, Craig, you know I love no you, No longer man. from the show. You know, Yeah. You got revoked for at least a week. No, make it a month. My dude, how do you take waffles off of a list of anything? Must be a Wichita thing. Like, yeah. you can have sex and waffles. You got to take waffles. Yeah, like, sex and waffles. It, well, okay. Peanut butter and ladies. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you do it? He, I think he had like grits and some other shit on there. And Craig took waffles off the list. Go look at my guy Bar at Barley Hop on Twitter. Go look at it. he's getting ratioed. Ooh. This guy's just getting just Did destroyed. He grow up in the Great Depression. I don't know. I mean, he's out there in the middle of Kansas, so God bless him for it. But dude, uh, I even I even called Craig out on Twitter. He had to hold an L. I, I even sent one out on Twitter. I told him, hold the L, Craig, because there's no way on God's green earth you're going to tell me that you're taking grits over fucking waffles, bro. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, orange juice is just a cup of sugar is all that is. I mean, I don't... It's just... 
or apple juice or apple something. Juice. All those, like, all those, all those juice drinks are just infused with nothing but sugar. Kent, so. Kent, Kent talked about Kent Swanson, another guy from Arrowhead Pride, talks about send apple juice into the sky, like shoot them into space. <laughs> if you're talking about that between Sammy, that and waffles, Sammy, come get the apple juice. Lord, <laughs> yeah, he's like all the apple juice is falling on Sammy right now. <laughs> Apple juice is for reptilians. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now Craig is going to come back as a glass apple juice now. He's going to be. <laughs> See, it really pissed me off that Craig shaved his beard. He had to do that. The, what's what these I just saw Shaggy's on Twitter and it scared the shit out of me. Did he? Did he really shave his beard? It's like bloody. Shaggy. Yeah, it's, it's bloody. Bloody. Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. Da 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 da. Looks like Lance is not happy about that. He cannot be back on the show until it's back. Shaggy's going to be listening to this on his way from or to work. I'm going to shave Lance's in his sleep now. And I just want you to know, Shaggy, when you hear this, my heart's broken. You broke my heart. You broke, yeah. Is that my ex girlfriend, Sarah? Zoom in on Lance, please. Broke my heart. As you listen to this, Shaggy, just know there are tears. Runneth down my cheekest. It's uh, damn it, man. He's gonna, damn it. He's gonna stand outside your window with the boombox. Damn it! Why? I can't even call you Shaggy now. No. So what is he now? Like chic Shane? Yeah, chic Shane actually sounds good. Cheeky. He'd be like a, he'd be like the friend of Zoolander. Yeah. All right, next question. All right. Steel Panther. <laughs> yeah. Actually, our next question comes from none other than Shaggy. Oh, great. oh, here we go, Shag. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is this is actually bearded Shaggy asking the question. So I'm good with it. Okay. You <laughs> said he saw the, the 20 best NBA player post, and mm. he has a question for yeah. Trevor. Can oh. Trevor, Trevor Torvo please tell me the best 20 KC Kings players in franchise? He said history. top 20, right? Top 20. All right, I narrowed it down to 10. <laughs> that, that, okay, That's all you're getting, Shaggy. Because, uh, me being a Kings fan, Kansas City Kings were only truly Kansas City Kings for 10 years. Give him 70, five since he shaved. 75, 76, to 85, 86. So I just went through and I picked, I think, who I think were the best guys in that 10-year span. Because for a while, they were they were playing Kansas City and Omaha from the, in, during the, some of the 70s and 60s as well. But truly from 75, 76 to 85, 86, they were truly Kansas City Kings. Um, and I'm going to be honest, there wasn't a lot of talent. Just being honest. The, the, Hence to why they moved. In no specific, specific order, uh, I, I, I conjured up the 10 players who I think were probably the best during the duration of that time period. Um, obviously, the top of the list would be Tiny Nate Archibald, who was an absolute legend, NBA legend. Uh, spent a lot of his career with the Kansas City Kings. Um, so him, Otis Birdsong, uh, Larry Drew, Reggie Theus. These are solid players, but none of them are like, you know, there's a few Hall of Famers in here, but nothing that's like, oh, yeah. Um, but to, as far as top 10 goes, yeah, Reggie Theus, Eddie Johnson, uh, Mike Woodson, a lot of these <laughs> – this is this is I'm telling you guys this is the 70s and 80s. These so guys are more known for being coaches than players. Yeah, the only reason I know about these guys is because I'm a Kings fan, and I, I would have no idea who the half these guys are. I mean, Larry Drew is still a Mike coach. Woodson. Yeah, they're all head. Co- they've all been head coaches. Yeah, so a lot of these guys are Reggie Theus. IQ guys. Yeah, Reggie Theus. Yeah. Uh, Larry Drew is still a coach. Mm-hmm. He was a coach for LeBron and the, and the Cavs for a while too. Um, so Mike Woodson, uh, Otis Thorpe. A lot of people, a historian of the game, would know who Otis Thorpe is. Uh, Scott Wedman. I think he averaged like 15 and eight for his career. Uh, Phil Ford was actually one of the better point guards during that duration of time. Was actually a really solid player. Uh, and then JoJo, and then JoJo levels. White. I had to throw JoJo oh, yeah. White in there. He's a Hall of Fame player. He was a great college player. He, well, he only played one year for the yeah. Kansas City Kings, so I almost didn't put him on the list because he only played for one year. But JoJo White was a great player, and he's one of the better talented players to ever play for that franchise at the time. And he played right towards the end. I think the last year of his career was with the Kings. So. 
But yeah, he's God, a Hall I of Famer. We, I hope we get basketball back in Kansas City one day, man. <sighs> no, I really I don't, do. I don't care who it is. Just bring somebody. If, if Jordan's got to sell the Hornets or the, you know whatever, Sammy Watkins gets on a team. Let's you know. <laughs> yeah. hey, Chris, could you give us like a top ten Kings franchise? players of all time of kings all players time. oh man i mean off the top of my head i would go pages most of them would be from that 2004 2000 to 2004 to 2008 uh mike baby chris weber i think is the best power forward to ever play for the kings at that time uh vladi divox obviously a king's legend bobby jackson bob yeah i mean man kevin, Mar Chrissy. kevin martin kevin martin was a great player for the kings for a few years um Obviously, Peja, um, Brad Miller, Brad. Hey, Brad Miller had some. He was a years. bad man. I love Brad Miller. If I'm yep. being honest, I, yep. play, I, I love his feistiness. This uh, man. Just give us your top three, then. Just give us like your top three. Top three. Chris Webber's got to be on there. I think Chris Webber's one of the best ever. Just because that run, because they should have been in the finals that year. They got screwed by the 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 gambling referees there. Um, top three, man. So Chris Webber. I might have to put Vladi on there because Vladi was one of the most successful players in that franchise. Man. Tiny Nate. So Chris Webber, Tiny Nate. I want to say Mike Baby so bad. I think I got to put Mike Baby in the top three. I, I know Shaggy didn't ask for mine. I'm going to give it anyway. My, Mike, top, my yeah. top three is clearly Chris Webber is the greatest king of all time. Yeah. It's not even close. And then you got to go Mike Bibby because of the fact that he is one of the longest tenured players in franchise history and is, to me, the best point guard they've ever had, one of yeah. the more clutch players they've ever had. Peja's up there, too. Peja Stojakovic is number three. One of the greatest, one of the greatest of three point shooters of all time. Yeah. Played there for, I think, 10 years. Every single season was solid as hell. Was a massive contributor yeah. to their success that they had in the early 2000s to mid 2000s. Those are the three greatest players I think in it Kings all comes history. With the, from that 2002 to 2006 yes. era. Yes, that those, team those was a lot best, of fun. That was the best era of Kings basketball ever. Yeah. That team I mean, was averaging like 26 assists a game. Granted, I will. Uh, granted, I will say the modern Kings team is building something here. I think I, I love De'Aaron Fox. I love uh, uh, um, Buddy Heald. I think Buddy Heald's already on pace to be one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. He's already pacing Steph, and, Steph Curry. As far as his three-points made, as far as the, the time span of his career, he's insane. Um, yeah, I think they're building. And I think uh, uh, Marvin Bagley is obviously going to be, if he can stay healthy, going to be one of the young up-and-coming power, power forwards in this league. So We'll see some better Kings basketball here pretty soon. I have a good feeling about it. Well, that was it for uh, Monday Mailbag. All right. Well, thank you appreciate guys so much. We really do appreciate everybody that contributed. We have our regulars. But every once in a while, we get our new guys in there. So I highly recommend, if you got something and you want us to discuss it, you guys want to have a little interaction on here, that's why we also do the live stream. <laughs> Hit us up on the Monday Mailbag every single Monday, and we'll talk about it on Friday's episode. So in that, guys, we have one more segment to do. What is it called again? Hold this L! Time to hold this L. Brought to you by nobody except us, because we love to hand out L's. Eddie, I'm gonna move right to you out in Mars. Who the fuck is holding the L? My L is gonna go to none other than Tony Ferguson, uh, UFC. Good call. Uh, yeah. Not only did he take an L on that UFC fight, where everybody expected him to pretty much win in front of all those fans. In front of all those fans, poor, poor fans. <laughs> uh, no one's right. pointed uh, to their house, but. <laughs> After the fight was over, uh, his competitor, I can't pronounce his name, Gath Gethchuk? 
whatever. Gaethje. Gaethje. Yeah, you're talking about Gaethje. He's dropping bombs on his ass. So he went over to him, you know, to, to kind of like do, do the right thing. You know, yeah. like it was a good fight and, you know, how they usually touch gloves or, or give a hug or whatever. Yeah. Tony Ferguson, being the sore loser he is, <laughs> pushed them away. And what. Uh, That's what he does, man. Uh, exactly. Yeah. What uh, Get Genji told him was Gechi. like, yeah. you know, like, ass was like you'd go nowhere, pretty much. Yeah. So, He's one of the best in the game. Ferguson dude. had a thirteen game, thirteen fight win streak. And, and, and I'll get. I'll, but he, at the end of the day, it's like you gotta, you gotta respect, you gotta respect what's coming, like up and coming. You know what I mean? I'd say that we get, we get yeah. you're great at, at, at what you do, but if you get beat. Yeah. Well, he got he got his ass completely mauled. Exactly. Yeah. Just be respectful. Don't, don't be a dick and then just start pushing him away. Gage is, let's just keep it. Let's make it going to get his ass whipped by McGregor. That's that's besides the point. Anyways, uh, uh, you got to give Ferguson the benefit of the doubt though, because this whole time he's been he's been uh, canceled on three different times when he's been he's been preparing for almost a year now to fight Khabib. You know, so he's been praying for a grappler, a guy that's going to be on the ground a lot, you know, trying to avoid that. So he went from that to fighting a dude that wants to fight standing up the entire time and got his ass beat. Gaethje, Gaethje drops bombs, dude. Yeah, Ferguson likes to stand and, yeah, stand and throw as well. But I'm saying, he yeah. was, but he wasn't preparing for that fighter. When you're mentally but, preparing but, for a year to but, fight yeah, Khabib, if, if yeah. No, he got his ass beat regardless. Uh, if, but your whole career based off of, of you just standing up and beating your, your opponents that way, mm -hmm. like, what changed... Like, I get it, you're preparing for a grappler. Yeah. But at the same time... Oh, there's no you're excuse. Just, you're just going back to your regular style. Yeah. Like, something that you're already good at. Yeah. No, for sure. He got his ass beat, dude. And I was watching that fight. I cannot believe... I mean, I... Only, but dude, I'll give Ferguson this. Only him would have been still standing at that moment. And yeah. in the round five, there's no one else. Those combos been... that Gaethje put on he him, he should have went to sleep. Constantly getting and nailed. That overhand right was just... Uh, on his orbital bone? Yeah, he's, he... He's saying he's not doing that. Oof. What reason? He's he's insane. That guy is not I was right. Just looking it up uh, to pull up the story, it says something about him not wanting to do the surgery. I, I'm glad Herb something. called that fight because when he shook his face like that, he dude, he, he wasn't there anymore. Like he was so he was probably just numb from pain. Yeah. Like I, ugh, his face afterwards was brutal. Gaethje beat his ass. Yeah, Gaethje deserves. Yeah, Gaethje earned. Yeah, yeah I think earned, McGregor. Yeah, I can't wait for McGregor to mop Gaethje up. Though. I like Gaethje. I learned some respect for him for sure. So, so for me, Ferguson, you're gonna have to hold this L. L. Trevor, who is holding the L this week? So I don't know if you guys saw the NFL uh, decided to come out with the new revamped version of the Rooney Rule. We've had our issues with the Rooney Rule. The fact that it exists yep. is kind of an odd thing. I get it was intention was to was to pure, provide but, yeah. yeah more opportunities for minorities. Love that. The fact that we got to provide more opportunities for, for, for minorities as if they are some kind of lesser value at certain jobs makes no sense to me. The fact that we got to do that is a problem in itself, but I get why it exists at the same time. It's, it's a, kind of a tough thing to discuss, but they sent out a new proposal for the Rooney Rule. I don't know if it's going to stick yet, but I know they brought out the, the new revamped version of it. The reason it's an L is because it's, it's actually even worse. It, it turns black coaches into more of a token even more than it already was now um basically what it is i'll just get to it there's incentives into hiring african-american or minority coaches 
predominantly African-American coaches. So basically if you, if you hire uh, an African-American coach, I'm not 100% certain and I might get some of this wrong, but this is just kind of the gist of it. You hire an African-American, doesn't have to be a head coach, could be a staff member, a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, uh, whatever, someone of any kind of significance. And they stay, I think for a year, you get, you, you move up a few spots uh, in the draft position. And if they stay for two years, you move up, I think, 15 spots in the draft position. So wherever you're at, say you're in the like the, the mid to top part of the second round, you're going to move into like the bottom to almost mid part of the first round if they stay for two years. Yeah, this isn't 1961. We're in 2020. So, do you see, this so, so imagine, uh, I tried my best. I can't do this with all honesty because I'm not an African-American or a minority. But I try my best to have that perspective. If I get, say, Eric Bieniemy, who without a doubt deserved a coaching job, a head coaching job this offseason. Didn't get it. But say he gets it now, and he he, 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 he gets hired by some 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 team. How is he going to – is he really going to feel like he's hired for his his personal knowledge and, and, and repertoire as a coach? Or is he going to be hired because this franchise wants to move up in the draft? You know, if, he's, if they keep him around and they, they, they keep him for two years, and they move up 15 spots in the draft and get someone that they want in the draft, and his ass is gone the third year. How are you not going to feel like a token? Yeah, now? that's pretty sick. Like, like, like for me as, as a Latino, yeah, like just hearing that, it's it, shitty, it, it man. Makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes me want to turn down the interview. Well, not yeah, but I mean, in the back of your mind, you're going to think, are they hiring me because they like yeah, me? Yeah, and at the are same they time, because they want to move uncomfortable. Up the draft? You feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, you've worked your ass off to get these types yeah, of jobs. Exactly. So, like, you're yeah. so conflicted within yourself. Like, do and, I and, take and, it? And, and, or my the worst part about all of this is the arrogance of all. And I'm going to say it: all these these predominantly white owners and these front office people that run these franchises, the arrogance to think that this is going to make them feel better. Yeah. How is this going to make you feel? It makes you feel like more of a token and a burden or a stepping stool. Because if I'm black and I get hired and I'm, I literally am feeling like I'm being a stepping stool to move up in the draft and, and to have some, as if that's all I'm providing without not my, not my coaching repertoire. Oh, and, and like Michael Wilbon uh, said on PTI today, he was like, it makes it feel like a game show where you're like, yes. come on down, black it's guy. Like, eerie, it's like, man. The way he said it, I was like, oh my God, that, that that's when it like, shook me. I, if I'm black, how can I not feel like that? Yeah. Exactly. You know well, what I mean? That's the thing. It's like, I, as uh, someone that has been the first female in their profession, right. um, I embraced it as you're goddamn right. I'm the only chick here. I'm going to take it to my advantage. And if you don't hire me, you're sexist. What's up now? <laughs> so there's there's levels that yeah. once you get past that initial like absolute disturbance of what they've done and how basically they've turned into essentially slave owners of some sort, you know, yeah. trading around people like like using people's race to essentially, you know, alleviate, it's 20. Like, We're in it's year 2020. It's a mess. And here we are. And I'm like, <laughs> like I thought Jay-Z was supposed to improve the NFL. I have a lot of yeah. questions on that one. How'd that go? But you yeah. know, you could you could look at it from the perspective of God, this is fucked up, or you could look at it from the perspective of like you know what? Screw it. I'm here. If you want to go ahead and make me the token black guy, you can't fire me real, right now. So I'm going to do exactly. I just that's yeah. interesting. That's an you interesting angle. I get what you're saying. That's the glass half full side of it. I get that if for they, sure. That is the most like detached, most woke yeah. way that you could go about it. Right. And that would take some serious freaking mental training to get through that. People looking at you like you only have this job because your skin color. Whereas you know, I was told that I blew my way to the top, and that is absolutely not well, true. It, it, I'm way too lazy to do that. And, and I, yeah, and, you know, yeah. It's just you have to look at it like if people are gonna fucking say shit, let them say shit. Yeah, but yeah. Just prove them wrong. Yeah, and shout out to Chris Broussard and 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 uh, the, the their show. Uh, what's the show Rob called? Parker, uh, the, yeah, the Odd Couple. The Odd Couple. I was listening to it on the way here, and there and and Chris Broussard was talking about it, or Rob Parker was talking about it. Uh, 
what do you know hockey nhl 95 percent white players imagine if all the owners and coaches were black and they were having to do this for white coaches to get a chance to coach I mean, how odd would that feel? Yeah. Right? That is what, that's what's going on. I mean, that is literally what's so happening in the NFL, 90-something percent African-American players. Most of the talent is 90, and that's even leaking into the quarterbacks now. Most A lot of the quarterbacks are either half or some kind of melting pot of something, right? Which is beautiful, which is what we want. Was, none of that even really matters. The fact that this has to be a thing, man, just bugs me to death that the fact that coaches – we can have all the players can be black. You can play the game, but you can't coach the game. If anyone is more, as far as knowledge of the game goes, and that you've you've done it, you've played it, and all these ex players. I mean, Mike Tomlin's one of the best examples in my mind. I love Mike Tomlin. I think he's one of the best coaches. And look what he did with that lackluster talent of team that he had last year, and still you know willed them to win eight to nine games and almost made the playoffs. If that doesn't speak volumes to you. Eric Bieniemy had. There's no reason Eric Bieniemy didn't get hired. Should not have gotten hired this this past offseason. No, no reason at all. And we have guys. I forgot who. Uh, New York. Adam uh, Gase. Yeah. No, not Adam Gase. It was the other. I think it was the Giants. Oh, Joe Judge. Yeah, Joe Judge. Yeah. His resume compared to Mike uh, Eric Bieniemy's, just because he get, he worked with the Patriots for a few years. Shit, even Matt Rule with the real, Panthers. Man. Yeah, I mean, resume is when you get, when you apply for a job. Resume is what matters. Yeah, right. Your experience is what matters. Eric Bieniemy not only has a great coaching resume and has worked with one of the greatest coaching trees of all time, maybe the greatest coaching tree of all time under Andy Reid, and has produced nothing but head coaches and they've been successful. He also played the game. He also was a running back in college in the pros and was good at it. Right, and he's. He produced a rookie running back, uh, uh, rushing leader with Kareem Hunt first year. You know, so he obviously his resume speaks for itself, and he also was a player. And it just it makes no sense they didn't get a job. Um, I think he, I hope he gets one this next offseason, and I will be cheering him on. And I just I had a massive problem with this this new revamping, if you will, of this the, the Rooney Rule as if it improved it somehow. It actually made it worse. So uh, the NFL, whoever, whichever crew is behind thinking that this is a good idea i don't know if it's gonna stick i don't know if it's set in stone yet but all you guys whoever is behind this is gonna have to do me a big favor and hold, hold this l it will not stick by the way yeah i don't it's think a it joke. Will it's a joke but the, the fact that that's a proposal yeah. just i i couldn't believe my ears when i thought i thought i was being trolled man i thought i was like really it's almost like they did it intentionally to be on our show I, to be yeah, i try my best to have the, i try my best to have the perspective as an african-american or a minority when i heard that it just felt like a joke, man. I felt like I was a court jester. Just like, you know what I mean? This, yeah, it's an I absolute joke. Can't relate, but I'm trying my best to. I'm going to stay in the NFL. This is a uh, very bewildering and a, a, a three. There's a, there's three angles to this L it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So there is a report that came out from pro football talks. Chris Sims mm. that states out of the fucking blue yeah. that according to his sources, in 2018, the Seattle Seahawks allegedly were in, in were, were in talks to offer up quarterback Russell Wilson for the number one overall pick that the Browns obviously controlled. So there's a couple. When I first heard this, the first thing I thought was there's no way in hell the Seahawks were actually serious about trading then soon to be 29 year old. In the prime of his career, one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen, Russell Wilson, while they're a perennial playoff team, to the Browns for a number one overall pick, that even at the number one overall pick, you're more than likely not getting a Russell Wilson. So the Seahawks are complete idiots that deserve an L for that one. Yeah. I could give it to them. Then you have the Browns, 
who didn't take the train. <laughs> if this is real, and the Browns really had <laughs> an opportunity to get a 29-year-old Russell Wilson, and they said no? Nah. That's an L forever. <laughs> There's an L handed to you every fucking week for the rest of this show's history. Yeah. But that's not the L either. No. My L is going to Chris Sims. Because also, according to Chris Sims, he states, and you can read this verbatim, he states that when he heard this, he didn't follow up with it. He said it was just a rumor. Guys, if you hear about one of the five to ten best players in the world at their pl- at, at their position, print it, print it, being arguably traded for the number one overall pick, yeah. you follow up with that. You don't let. Oh uh, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds cool. Right, see you guys later next Tuesday, right? Yeah, okay, cool. You don't do that. You follow up with that because that's a story. That's something you can break and get credit for and get a raise for. Come on, Chris. How do you think Stephen A. Smith got his job? He broke shit like the Heat. Teaming up in 2011. He yelled like this. For Christ's sakes. It's so disrespectful. You know what I mean? Like, think about that, man. It's on weed. So, so imagine being Chris Sims, being able to take an L from not only the Seahawks trying to trade a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and an L from the Browns who just hold L's on a continual basis. Congratulations, Chris Sims. You got to do me a favor and hold this L. Shit. Dude, no, no, you can also give the NFL an L, too, for the fact that, which I had no idea this was even a thing. I'm speeding angry. Russell Wilson has never even received any MVP votes his entire career. Yeah. That's mind-blowing highest, uh, Second highest quarterback rating in NFL history. Not once. Or or actually, not even thought, a single vote. Yeah, not a single not vote. Not a single vote, bro. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I know his first couple years he was kind of a game manager, but after the Super Bowl run, well, that's the, years the defenses that, were so great and the run game was so great, he looked like a game manager. He's one of the manager. best quarterbacks of all He's time. He's never missed a game in his career. Yeah. <laughs> he's only one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Am I, he's never yes. had an MVP vote. I think he is. One that of the one fired me up. I could not wait to talk about that one because I cannot believe how idiotic Chris Sims was for being... The, oh, go ahead, Gat. Yeah, what do you got? Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, with that response to the NFL owners, you know, wanting to vote on that resolution and all that stuff, somebody made a great point about the Browns. They go, the Browns did this and they got a couple first overall picks well ahead of their time with black coaches. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You have a break in my chair over here. That's great, dude. Good, great call. That's a comment of the night, actually. Hey, look, I wish we could just talk about L's all night long because there's just so many to give. But I felt like Trevor, you made a great point, man. I feel like Eddie, the the Tony Ferguson thing. I'm with you, man. It's all about respect. You got to respect your opponent, especially after you get the ass beat. Respect the art of the sport. Yeah, hold your L. You know, that's 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 the thing, man. Exactly, in that sport as well, you need to. It's all about marketing. I get it. You know, you want to ruffle the feathers and get people to be all hyped up for the fight. But at the end of the day, you show respect at the end of the fight. I mean, even Chael Sonnen did that. Um, but, yeah, as far as Chris Sims, dude, come on. Yeah. You, you made, I know you made it in this business because your father. But do some fucking journalism, for Christ's sake, man. You get a story like that. You get that juicy of a story. Yeah, don't talk you, about it years afterwards. You, yeah, two years later when it doesn't even matter in the yeah. middle of May. Like, what are you thinking, buddy? Hold the L. Okay. Hold it. So thank you guys so much for everybody who was a part of the live stream. We're getting some great responses. We really appreciate all the comments, all the Monday mail uh, mailbag comments. This is what we love to do, guys. No matter what the week's going, what what's going on in the sports world, I told you guys from the beginning of this pandemic, we're not stopping this because we have things to talk about. I guarantee you this show is going to run over two hours. We got things to talk about, and we are so glad that you are a part of this. So you guys are why we do this. It's an absolute blast. We love doing this. So thank you so much. But in the meantime, if you guys don't want to just listen to sports, 
KCPN, Kansas City Podcast Network, has a plethora of other avenues to go off of. I'm telling you guys, Life's Okay, Run Your Mouth KC, Gutter Sluts. I'm telling you guys, there are so many awesome shows. The Fake Ned Minute. All avenues of life. They talk all avenues of life. You like hip-hop culture. You like religion talk, politics talk, you goofy satirical shit. You want to talk about video games, life review, anything like that. Gats chats, whatever Gat wants to talk about. Listen to her, man, for for Christ's sake. Like she said, she said history as the first all-woman show in ESPN and radio history. That ain't something you just look upon and say, oh, that's not impressive. That's something impressive. We are just one of the few out here trying to make something happen with the Kansas City Podcast Network, and we appreciate you guys chiming in and tuning into us, but I'm telling you, there's a ton of other talent on our network that we're trying to get out there, and I'm telling you, it's going to be worth your time. So subscribe to our YouTube channel, turn into our live streams, and get on social media and support this, because I'm telling you guys, better get used to it because we're not going anywhere. So in that, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for Gat, for Clay Windler, for Shane's former beard, Shaggy Shane's former beard, and for Chris Sims, holy shit, this is episode 64 of the Spoken Podcast, and until episode 65 is here, we're out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.